2: Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, the listener, by heading on over to patreon.com slash Writer. There you can become a patron and support the show as I continue to grow, keep the website up to date, um, keep you informed with everything that I'm doing right now, and uh, eventually get a facelift for the website. Um, Every little bit helps, helps keep the lights on, all that good stuff. So again, just head on over to patreon.com slash Writer. And uh, become a patron today. Um, Also check out chasethomaspodcast.com. It's uh, my site where you can learn a little about me, uh, get a a direct link to every single episode, um, all that good stuff. You can also read all of my work. I'm basically writing there every day. Um, The schedule that I have right now for uh, my writing on the site is on Sundays I'm doing an ATL sports column. Um, kind of traditional in that sense, depending on what's going on in Atlanta sports that week. On Mondays, I am doing a 30 things on the NBA um, that I'm excited about because the NBA is coming back soon. Uh, Tuesdays, I'm doing a Monday Night Raw recap and review. Uh, Wednesday, I am doing a SmackDown Live uh, review. On Thursdays, I am doing a throwback Thursday. So I'll watch a game because I like watching old highlights. I like watching like 1998 Minnesota Vikings versus like the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, things like that where Randy Moss went off. Um, So I'm going back watching old games uh, and I will be writing about them as if they are happened right now. And all that good stuff on Fridays, I'm doing a nobody asked mailbag where I uh, just, I have a lot of questions and a lot of thoughts on sports and I can turn them into questions and uh, I'm going to write about them in a nobody asked mailbag. So you can find that on Fridays on Saturdays. It's um, it's just a Saturday morning thought. So things I I thought about during the week, I just want to write about and uh, mixed in with all of that, uh, just other kinds of articles like when I wrote about Bruno Caboclo and why it's interesting that the Houston Rockets are taking a chance on it more. Jimmy Butler and his rumored flirtation with uh, the Lakers and why um, he might be a better fit for uh, Kawhi Leonard instead of LeBron James and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, other articles um, spread out throughout the week. All that good stuff. But you can find all of that by going to chase almost podcast.com. Uh, don't forget, there's a lot of ways you can listen. Spotify is a popular one now. So you can find the Chase almost podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google Play, uh, everything else that you could possibly think of. Uh, Castbox, um, just uh, all kinds of great stuff. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, of course. Uh, but yeah, just search Chase Thomas Podcast and you can find it. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, uh, it'd be great if you could leave the show a reading and a review. Um, it's just, it's important uh, with the way iTunes works. So it'll help other people find the show, help the show continue to grow. Um, so that'd be great. So if you uh, if you are an uh, Apple Podcast listener, it would be great if you could leave a rating and a review uh, for the show. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. And uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Ryder. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, My he- nephew needs me to record. See,
3: I hate. I already hate it. I hate it.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, a Wednesday afternoon edition. It's very hot in Atlanta. It's very hot, um, I can confirm. But uh, I am indoors right now. I am recording part one of three uh, portions of tonight's episode. And back on the podcast, Sean, what's up, man?
1: How's it going? It's uh, it's actually very cool here in Oakland. Um, so maybe you should consider moving to the West Coast. It's a big
2: jump. I mean, I've considered it for a while. Um, I, I don't know. It's uh, one of those things that's definitely in the back of my mind. But um, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll see. You never know. I, I wouldn't rule it out.
1: You know what's nice is that when the NFL decides to have two Monday night games and one of the games is the Raiders getting blasted by the Rams. The game ends and it's only like 10 30 or 11 o'clock. It's not two in the morning.
2: That's true. That is true. Um, I will not pretend to say that I stayed up and watched, uh, Raiders Rams. I watched the second half. Um, by the way, shout out to NFL.com because you know what they do? They do like 12 minute highlights now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know
2: what you're talking about. It's incredible. It's like a condensed version of the game. Yeah. It's the Hulu version. So if you watch, if you like, um, If you're a WWE fan um, and you watch on Hulu, they cut out all the bad stuff and make you think that the product is good on a week-to-week basis. (laughs) So it's only like an hour and a half, but Raw is three hours and just a gigantic slog to get through and all that. But uh, yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorite resources because um, I do that for college games on Sunday mornings too because uh, you're not going to believe this, Sean, but I don't have enough time to watch like 93 games in one day. So, or just over the weekend, nor do I want to. So what can I do?
1: You're talking to a guy who, who doesn't watch college football, admittedly. Uh, Um, and like, and I will in draft season put together mock mock drafts. And what I do in mock drafts is I rely entirely on other people's analysis. And I'm just trying to approach it from like, what makes sense for what teams type of thing. Like, but like, I don't, I admittedly don't watch these guys until Mm -hmm. they're starting to enter the NFL. Uh, it's 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 too much with if you're watching all these football ga- football games, and then like I want to re-watch certain games on game pass, like the last thing I want to do is spend my Saturday just watching football,
2: yeah. Um, I understand. And that's kind of why it seems like there is. A lot of niche stuff these days where people kind of like specialize in one or the other because uh it's just it's really hard to do that for an entire weekend but um for right now in my 20s i i like doing it and you know maybe college football is not around 20 years from now because of moocs or just uh, the concussion stuff or who knows maybe we won't even have to worry about maybe the aaf Will take over, and Michael Vick will be the best offensive coordinator in history. Um, and uh, Brad Childress, a Hall of Fame coach in Atlanta, and then the XFL will take off, and we just have all these minor leagues and catch uh, ball is, Uh, not necessary to watch. I I don't know. We'll we'll see, but um, it's gonna be interesting over the next couple of years. But uh, I don't. You're in Oakland, but you're a Seattle guy, and I have to say, like, if I moved West Coast, I will like. Vancouver has always been kind of a dream scenario for me. I don't know if I romanticized Vancouver too much where it's like I base it on everything I see. Like the show psych was set there. Uh, I, I love twin peaks. Um, I think once upon a time was filmed there. Uh, just, it looks amazing. And I love calm, peaceful green with really good coffee. And, uh, I don't know. I think I've romanticized the idea of Vancouver a little too much, but at the same time, if I could live anywhere, I feel like that might be the leading candidate right now for me.
1: It, it's, 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 it's a great city. Um, the, I've only actually been to Vancouver like three or four times, it, which is mm-hmm. like weird because when you grow up in Seattle, like the big thing to do is once you turn 19, um, is to drive up to Vancouver cause you can drink at okay. 19. Um, I went up for a concert once with some people. Um, that was fun. It, it's a great city. I think Portland, Seattle, um in Vancouver all have their their pros and cons. Um mm. I'd probably put Seattle one just because I'm obviously from there. Um mm. but I would put Vancouver over Portland, which is kind of kind of okay. hot takey cuz Portland's kind of a up and coming or I, it's probably beyond up and coming now. It's thought of as like an elite west coast city, you know.
2: I've only been to L.A. when I've gone to California or West Coast. That's the only city I've gone to. I've never been to San Diego, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver. I have a lot of traveling I need to do. It's it's not good that I'm 27 and just not been to many places on the West Coast.
1: Um, I, 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 I'm not a big L.A. guy, so I would recommend the Bay Area. I, I don't know if it's a good place to visit, but if mm. you ever actually are serious about moving, I think it's a great place to live. There's, there's not much to do as like a tourist though you know what i mean like you right. want to go to like a big dirty city in san francisco like it's there's not much to do but mm. but if you live it's a great place to live mm. um but not it's i don't think it's like a touristy place
2: will there be a pro sports team by the time i visit
1: in sorry
2: in San Francisco in Oakland. Oh in Oakland? no, in Oakland. Like, um, you're encouraging me to move out there, and it's like, but what if there's no yeah, teams I, anymore? Yeah, I think, we're, I on, think we're on the collision course to just having the A's, and who knows?
1: I think I think the A's will will stay, and I okay. I haven't followed it that closely, but I think they're close mm-hmm. to approving a site. I the, the A's have just kind of like ever since the Raiders announced they're moving, the A's have like gone 150 percent of like marketing, marketing themselves as like we are rooted in Oakland. Like these are slogans that they have. And like, we are Oakland's one team. And like, because the Warriors obviously are moving across the Bay. Um, so I think, I think the A's like kind of see this as like a great chance to like brand themselves as Oakland's only team.
2: Yeah. And I really want to go to a game live in Oakland and like in Oakland for the Warriors and just experiencing Oracle at least once before they move because, uh, I don't think the experience is going to be the same.
1: In, no, and uh, it's already Francisco. not as yeah. good as it used to be. I mean, I really? yeah, I, I mean, I covered the team the first Kevin Durant year, so I was at all the mm-hmm. games that year. Um, but that was my first year going to games. So like, I'm not saying it it sucks now, but just from people who have gone to the games over the years, I think as the Warriors have gotten better, you've seen some people kind of get priced out. Um, of being able to go because it's it's still not cheap even though it's still at Oracle. Um, so I think the crowd has already gotten kind of worse. But you're right. This, as soon as they go across the bay, it's going to be nothing like it is.
2: As long as they take the dancing sh- uh, shirt sweatshirt lady with them, yeah, they they'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a that was a fun time and it happened multiple times. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's more like the A's is like who I'd actually prefer to see move among the three, just because uh, I'm kind of annoyed at this idea of this team, just being the small market for years and years. And I just feel the, the cry of poverty for the A's and just operating like they're in San Antonio or something year after year is quite frustrating, especially now that they're really good again. And uh this is the time to jump on the team, the bandwagon, all that good stuff. But they also need to spend. They also need to keep this thing going and not uh, trade all their <laughs> assets this uh, winter. Don't trade Matt Olson, uh, Billy Bean. Please just ride this out. Uh, keep things going for a couple of years. Spend money. It, uh, it works. Just ask the Red Sox and the Yankees and at the Astros and everybody else. It, uh, having a nice payroll is, is, a, is a good thing, in my opinion.
1: As a uh, Mariners fan, I'm going to disagree with everything you said, and mm. I hope they sell everyone.
2: Okay. <laughs> um, I apologize, but, you know, things are good. I mean, D. Gordon's closing the clubhouse door to uh, have a conversation uh, with other teammates and uh, it stayed behind closed doors. But uh, yeah, you're what? Only what? 10 games back from the A's? Uh,
1: I mean, my my Mariners take is that if baseball was a more national sport, they would be mocked the way the browns are mocked. because they look they've got a longer playoff drought than the browns. Yeah.
2: Was it 20 it, years now?
1: Since 2001. Yeah. So getting there. Um it it's just because be, no one cares about baseball nationally that especially during the regular season, like See, no people do like forget not? the Mariners. I think they do. I think the they don't. With
2: this, here's my theory. Can I give you my theory?
1: Yeah. It's your podcast.
2: I think it's more You can't talk about baseball on podcasts and radio shows like you can football, like you can basketball, like there's just the rumor mill is just not the same. I think it's just a really difficult because there's a game every day. You can't hype things up. You can't um, just it's really difficult to talk about baseball conversationally with other people and I think part of that is just you don't actually have to watch the games to have a good context as to who's good and who's not you never have to watch Mike Trout at play baseball at all to know that he is the best player in baseball year after year which I don't think is a good thing but I also just I I don't know I think part of the issue with baseball is it's I think it is generally speaking a hard sport to just talk about um, at the bar, or talk about with your friends because, um, it seems like everything's always settled and uh, uh it's just it's hard. Like, oh, who's gonna win this three game series? I bet you the Braves are taking two of three. It's just, it's you can't do it. It's it, just not as fun as having I agree. a Kevin Durant or LeBron James conversation. I, and I, I don't I, think it's baseball's fault.
1: No, I agree with you, and like that's why I'm saying I don't think it's not a national thing. It's like if you are a Mariners fan you'll watch the Mariners games every night or however mm. you do, but you're not going to tune in for like, like Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Like I am never watching that unless like I have a fantasy guy going as a starter or something like that's just, it. it's just, I don't think people tune like people will tune into Monday night football between the Raiders and Rams because they want to see how John Gruden looks and they want to see the Rams. Right. Like they're not doing that for a new manager in baseball. Yeah. And I don't know Marissa if there's anything you can back. do
2: about it. Like it's one of those things where it, I, genu- like, I don't think you can. I think it's uh, unfixable.
1: I just want, as a Mariners fan who like watches like ninety percent of the games, um, I want the Mariners to get mocked though, because I think ownership, uh, not necessarily the front this front office, but ownership and past front offices deserve it. And I think maybe if they were to get mocked, it would like not allow them to continue to operate in the state of mediocrity. But because they fly under the radar for the most part, like I feel like they're under no real pressure um, to actually try to win because they're probably going to let Nelson Cruz go. And this is just this is going to devolve into me ranting about the Mariners, and I don't think any of your fault, any of your podcast listeners cares about that.
2: I care about the Mariners, man, and I care about your opinions on baseball, Sean. It's not just we—you are you're a baseball writer, but you still. You, you can talk about baseball. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about, man. I know you said it was my podcast earlier, but if you want to rant about the Seattle Mariners right now, I am giving you the floor. Because you know who's coming on right after this? John Taylor of Sports Illustrated. So we'll be talking baseball after this. So you get a little taste of the baseball conversation to come.
1: I'll I'll just say I don't like the most depressing thing about the Mariners is that I don't see like a way forward for them to become a playoff team. Because I think this year, even though they've been mirrored in this horrible losing streak since the all-star break they have overachieved relative to their talent level like this is a very good bad team and that has a record that's like 15 games over 500 because they got really hot and won a bunch of one-run games at the beginning of the year and that's probably not going to happen they're going to let nelson cruz go it would be my guess because they don't want to pay a 38 year old and they should pay him a couple years but they're not going to And so, and you look at the division and the division is so damn good. I just, that's the depressing thing. It's like, I know opening day next year, I'll be excited and I'll watch, but logically I can't see a way this team makes the playoffs because look, they went on an insane run this year and it still wasn't enough. It's still not even going to be close to being enough. My biggest fear is they're going to miss the playoffs by a game because that's what always seems to happen. And in a way it's better this year because I've already checked out, like I've stopped (laughs) watching games for the most part. And at least they took me to football season. But like, and look, I'm a Bears fan, so like, it's nice that we got Khalil Mack, and that got me excited. It was, it was a nice transition. Um, I just wish I could be excited about the Mariners' future, but I'm not. Like, Cano's getting older. Felix is done. Um, uh, I love James Paxson. I'm not convinced he's like top tier ace. Like, he gives up a lot of home runs and like he strikes out a lot of guys. But like, seems to me like he's prone to getting blown up and prone to injuries. And so, Edmund Diaz is great, but at the same time, I'm thinking maybe you should just blow it up and trade. I can't believe I'm saying this because I love Mitch Haniger, but, like, trade the Mitch Hanigers of the team and try to at least, like, build something more sustainable because they're not winning with this score.
2: I think you just described, like, the Buffalo Bills prior to trading everybody a couple years ago when the new regime came in with Brandon Bean and, it, like, what they did last year where they made the playoffs and ended their drought. But uh, it was clear they were not a good team. They were just good enough to sneak in in a um, oversaturated AFC, and the Chargers who got left out got left out because they started off the season uh, very stupidly. Like it looks like they're going to do again this season, but they were just a well, really bad team. And the good news I, I for the Char- that's who they are. The I'm, sorry the Charters say, is they, I'm
1: sorry to compare your beloved no, Seattle it, Mariners I to think, the Buffalo Bills. I'm saying I think they should be compared. I wish they would get mocked more nationally, and maybe that would put more pressure if, you know, if people are writing all the time about how like what embarrassment the Mariners are. Like I think people in Seattle maybe start to listen that more. And I think there's more pressure on the team to do something about it. But the fact of the matter is, this is one of the most incompetent franchises in the history of sports. And it sucks I just don't think NBA they NBA. should
2: be priority number one. I think priority number one should be getting uh, the Seattle Sonics back. Uh,
1: I mean, I'm not, a big we'll the I'm not a big NBA guy. I, I mean, okay. why I want them be in Seattle is because I want a hockey team to root for. Well, that's uh, coming no matter what, right? But, right? Right. So I'm I'm actually excited for that, and like in a mm. weird way, I'm thinking because because hockey um, plays games most nights, uh, like you know, similar to baseball. So like in a way, I'm thinking maybe this will be kind of like my Mariner's replacement. I don't like, I'm never going to stop being a Mariner's fan. It's just, you know, it's, it's what I was born with, but I'm excited.
2: You're describing it like it's some sort of uh disease or some sort of, <laughs> I actually, uh,
1: I was going on a drunk rant with my friend uh-huh. a, like, a weekend ago. And I it, don't remember most of the night, but I remember this part of me going on this really loud rant in which I called the Mariners a disease, and that there's no cure for. Um, But you keep on getting these little like reports of hope, where you think you're turning the corner, and then the disease just comes back and annihilates you.
2: I'm so sorry. This is really (laughs) depressing. I didn't mean to bring back all of these bad memories and these bad feelings. I know you were having a good day, you were doing your gambling picks and everything else. And um, we were about to record this supposedly uplifting podcast where we could talk about the things that we like, like the NFL and that beautiful first half of football from the Chicago bears, your, other um, before that second half happened. But I'm sure that you've just blocked that part out, right?
1: I mean, the, I mean, the thing about the bears blowing that game to the Packers is that it was easier to swallow because I knew it was coming for a solid 30, 40 minutes. Like I knew it was going to happen. I've seen it before. Um, I was but what able made
2: to, you think about the way that game was going that so led I, you to the conclusion so, that this was happening?
1: So it wasn't Aaron Rodgers coming back. Like, that part to me wasn't when I knew. Um, like, don't get me wrong. It, Rodgers comes back. I, like, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this could be a game after all. The moment I knew was, so the Packers are down 20 to 3. And I think that's when Rodgers goes deep down the right sideline to um, Geronimo Allison who makes mm-hmm. the catch. And it's a 20 to 10 game. And I still was, I wasn't panicked. When I knew the Bears were going to lose was three plays later when they went three and out. Mm. And what they did on third and one, is instead of running the ball, they threw a little throwback play action pass to Deion Sims. And on third and one, Deion Sims runs a route short of the line to gain. On third and one, that is really hard to do. And he does it and he gets tackled as soon as he catches the ball. And as soon as they punted the ball back that's when I knew because the defense was already gassed, Cleo Mack clearly was gassed. I mean he I mean to no fault of his own, he gets to, he reports to the Bears 8 days earlier. Um you know, he's not going to be in game shape. Roquan Smith isn't really available. He he barely played. And so I just knew at that point I knew and sure enough the Packers go down and they score and then kind of get a glimmer of hope when the Bears Finally convert a third down. I think they ran like a design running play with Trubisky to the left. And like, it just felt like they're going to have to fight for every first down right now because Trubisky in the second half would not keep his eyes up. Every, there wasn't even a pass rush, but the second his first read was gone, his eyes would drop and he would look, he would look to run. But they started to do these first downs. And then third and one, of course, they, they don't run the ball. Everyone's talked about this. And the thing that annoyed me is if you're at the 15-yard line, you got to go for that. Because everyone on the planet knew that you kick a field goal, you're losing by one. And this will sound counterintuitive, but against Aaron Rodgers in that situation, I would rather be up three than up six. Because I think there's a chance... It didn't matter because they throw a 75-yard touchdown to Randall Cobb, but in the chance that they're going to have this long drive, there's a much higher chance that they're on the 30-yard line and Mike McCarthy goes all Mike McCarthy and Ooh, you know okay. and kicks a field goal I really think in and, and like I've thought this over the years and I'm guessing analytics I've act- not heard this take before I like this yeah no and I don't know if analytics would back me up although I did see a couple people in the analytics community talk about this that mm-hmm. because of coaching tendencies being up three is better because the other team is more likely to settle for a field goal. Where it's six they're in four down territory the entire way which means on the 30 yard line they could be a third and A fourth and three, they would have kicked that if it's a three-point game. Instead, they're going for it. And as we know over the years, as we've seen, is that coaches should probably go for it more on fourth down, but they get too conservative. And so I would have rather been up three in that situation. You don't get the first down. Aaron Rodgers also has to go 85 yards as opposed to 75 yards when you kick off to them. Like, Mm -hmm. I just think, and, and again, the upside is you get a first down and you probably bleed out the clock. And so it was just, to me, like, for all the good Matt and Nagy showed, which I think there were, there were some good things. And that's why I bet, like the next day I was, I was fine with it. Like whatever you lose to the Packers. It's happened before. It's not going to define the season. It's not going to define Matt and Nagy. If it does define the season and if it does define Matt and Nagy, it doesn't matter anyway. Cause that means the bears are going to suck. But um, it was just annoying because everyone knew it was coming except seemingly the bears and like,
2: how I think they knew, but I do think it was one of those, I, I don't know, I think we overreact way too, like, it's amazing to me that all summer we hear the new thing in the NFL because of limited practice time and everything else that we should throw out the first month of the season and we should treat those games as the first four preseason games that actually happened in September, right? Like, that's the new thing is just don't overreact, don't overreact, blah, 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 blah. And then Matt Nagy doesn't go for it on fourth down and the it Bears implode in the second half, this, that, and the other. And we're already like, ooh, is Trubisky uh, going to be able to survive as QB1? Is Matt Nagy in over his head? Is blah, 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 blah. And I just, I, I'm i right there with you. I'm not really nervous. I thought Matt Nagy showed a lot of good stuff. I think Trubisky is definitely a lot better than he was last year. I mean, I'm still not sold on him being ever a top 10 quarterback, but do I think he showed enough where it's like if Matt Nagy can stay creative and this defense can get better and Roquan can get in shape and Khalil Mack can stay healthy and Kyle Fuller can catch interceptions that hit him right in the chest then this team's gonna be fine like I I think it's just they'll forget they're professionals it's i just don't think it's as demoralizing as people are making it out to be because um a lot of teams have been uh destroyed by aaron Rodgers over the years and they've they've been fine I, I just think you move on and you figure things out and it's a learning experience just like when sam darnold threw that opening pick and then responded by kicking the living shit out of the detroit lions the rest of the game um i, I just don't i'm not that worried I think I, I, a no. lot of bad things had to happen for them to lose that game Similar to what happened with the Falcons uh, against the Patriots when they blew the twenty-eight to three lead, I just I, I don't think it was obviously that bad, but I do think they'll learn from it. Matt Nagy got one game, like we'll see. It's going to be another year or two before we really know um, if this is all going to work out. If Vic Fangio staying on his DC is going to work out and everything else. So I uh, I thought we saw a lot of good stuff. Obviously, Khalil Mack was just a wrecking
1: ball. What a fun half! I mean, yeah. A- Like, that was just, like, I don't think I've seen a defensive player dominate a half like that. Maybe, I mean, probably just recency bias, but I do know that the last player to have a half that he did was Khalil Mack a couple years ago Mm -hmm. with a a touchdown, a pick, a sack, a fumble, all that stuff. Um, What a half. And, like, I agree with you. This is the one thing I'll push back about, like, the overreaction things. I don't know if it's an overreaction to worry about Matt Nagy's like late game management, considering he comes from Kansas City, where like Andy Reid is an incredible coach until it becomes like a high leverage situation. Mm. Um I think and let's not forget the last time we saw Matt Nagy, he was blowing a playoff lead to the Titans with the Chiefs as the play caller um yeah and, and like i'm again i'm not saying like this should define But he's also the age. guy
2: who unleashed alex smith downfield alex smith turned into a great deep ball threat exactly i Hill. think he unleashed tyree Hill, unleashed kareem hunt like he's uh, travis kelsey kareem is the number two tight end like there, it, there no coach is perfect and you gotta accept the good for the bad
1: I, that, no and that's what i've realized is like i think and like i say this in a nice way in a way it's like welcome to andy Reid coaching hell Where like mm-hmm. and again like i love andy Reid as a coach and, like, if, if you get Andy Reid 2.0, you're going to take it. Um, right. But it's just still a reminder, like, most of these guys, for the most part, have flaws, except maybe Bill Belichick. But even he makes mistakes just not um, not as often. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're not going to hire Bill Belichick.
2: Yeah, I mean... Look like at this... Matt Patricia. <laughs> See, but that's another overreaction. I, like, right after that loss, the column came out, like, the next day about... Um, veterans on the lines are annoyed by matt patricia's practices and all this stuff and we have conversations about well is he gonna be able to bring the patriot way to detroit and this that and the other and it's like i mean we'll see and like you saw the story about jets players uh defensive players rather knew what was coming uh, from jim bob cooter's offense and they're like oh should they have brought back jim bob cooter and it's like can we just can we chill like maybe it was just a really bad game and they were blindsided by sam darnold and uh they'll they'll move on because uh i i just i don't think it's as bad as what we saw and we don't i i don't know i think we're gonna learn a lot more over the next couple weeks and i'm just like do we think the bucks are actually gonna be fighting for the nfc south right Uh, do the
1: saints suddenly suck probably not yeah
2: i just probably not i i don't and like the saints we saw a lot of good from alvin kamara who ran for like two yards to carry and still had like 10 catches for 100 yards and was Still active in that capacity michael thomas still looks great i don't think that defense will play that poorly all season but you know what uh the bucks have a lot of firepower they have their receiving core of evans who was locked down uh by Lattimore last year uh lit him up this weekend but that's fine like mike evans is one of the five best receivers in football and then you have deshaun jackson playing in the slot and chris godwin on the outside and uh cameron Bate and oj howard and all these guys like they have a bunch of weapons the the Tampa buccaneers are set up right now to throw all over people their running back situation it's terrible but guess what you don't actually have to run the ball uh and this is specifically targeted towards the detroit lions and their offensive staff uh you don't actually have to run the ball uh to succeed and score points in the nfl just uh watch anything of the bucks this past week and how they operated just <laughs> it's uh it's not necessary i've and, got
1: uh, i've got an amazing yeah. stat about the lions and their running game okay i'm ready they haven't had a hundred yard rusher in sixty nine mm-hmm. straight games.
2: Yeah, and they were a playoff team in that that time span.
1: Right. I mean, it print. just doesn't matter. Like I, the I. I, I mean, I think it matters. I don't think why? you have to have one because I think if you can if you can do two good things, it matters more than if you can do one. I don't know if Matthew Stafford's a good enough quarterback if you want him throwing it forty five times a game. And that's maybe the-
2: before, and it didn't lead to a lot more success. But I think there's a way to like um, utilize your running backs, like use carry K- uh, K- on Johnson. Uh, they lost Zener, which hurts. But you have Theo Riddick. You have other guys who can catch the ball in the backfield. I don't think Loggairt Blunt being in the game helps them. But then again, you think about like Adrian Peterson and what he did this weekend was kind of crazy. And just looking at the tape for him, like he looked like he was back to his 27 year old self, where he was able to maneuver on the edge a lot more than i think any of us would have expected at this point in his career and um a lot of the stuff coming in with him was like you can't have guys like peterson in the league anymore or build your offense around him because teams just know like what's coming and if you're running back can't uh make you think like todd Gurley is the king of this now where teams don't know whenever he's on <laughs> in the game like if they're going to run to todd Gurley, throw to todd Gurley, or he's just going to be blocking and this that and the other you have to be multi-talented you have to be flexible but then again uh the Redskins ran for like 160 yards this week and Chris Thompson you know that they're probably passing when he's in the game and you know when Adrian Peterson's in the game they're probably running the football but if you can break tackles like Peterson was doing and juking out Patrick Peterson on the outside and uh, catching some screen passes and uh, utilizing the Marshall Falk play that uh, he ran with alex Smith a couple times uh maybe he'll be fine and maybe he'll stay healthy and it'll all work with that one two punch but ultimately I just I don't think it matters if uh Amir Abdullah turns into a consistent 20 carry 130 yard back every game because I mean just look at what the Steelers did with James Conner. he ran for two touchdowns like they 31 carries 150 yards by the way does that not validate? Le'Veon Bell's concerns about how they were going to treat him this season in his last year with the team before he gets his next contract. Like, yeah, that could have been Le'Veon Bell getting the ball 31 times in the DeMarco Murray Dallas Cowboys situation uh, where they're just going to run him to the ground this year because James Conner got like 45 touches basically. And that's including reception and stuff like that. So, uh, I, it, it was a really fascinating opening weekend, but I just, I guess my biggest takeaway is that like, if you look at the teams that really won and dominated offensively, uh, they did not do it by just running the ball down anybody's
1: throat. Oh yeah. I mean, look, I don't think you have to run, but I think if you can do both, like, I think it opens up a lot for the passing game. I mean, look to me, the lions like are, I don't know why they're just, they're probably the like least interesting team to me. I feel like, like I'm not. I don't like. I'm not interested in Matt Patricia. Um, I we know what Stafford is at this point. Um, I I just like to me like I think their peak is like eight and eight, nine and seven. And I think I know we don't want to overreact to week one, but at the same time, like feel like everything in the NFL is overreactions because they only get sixteen games, and after every we have a week in between games that like we spend the entire week trying to find these takeaways, and then the next Sunday happens, and the complete opposite happens, but. I just I uh, like it's I think Matt Patricia is in a tough spot because I think he's one of the only new coaches, maybe the only new coach that is in the situation where he's not trying to turn around this like three-win team and he doesn't have the luxury of like oh we made some steady progress like they got rid of like a decent or like even by the NFL standards a good coach um because they didn't think he was the one to take them over the top and now like like, I guess what I'm saying is like if I was Matt Patricia, I'd almost in a way rather take a bad job because you're afforded the time to draft your quarterback and develop your own team where it's like he has to win with Matthew Safford and he has to win with this core because if they go three and 13, they could fire him. Like,
2: I don't think so because he's too close with Bob Quinn. their are okay. manager.
1: My point being is that he doesn't have the benefit of like steady incremental progress or like for him, steady incremental progress is 10 wins. And so, like, that's yeah. what I think leads to, like, this overreaction of they get blown out by the Jets with the 21-year-old rookie quarterback that mm. people are going to overreact to because it's not like he was taking over the Browns. He was taking over a, like, decent, like, average average team, I think we could call them, over the last three years. And I'm sure the
2: Browns' roster as a whole is not better than the Lions.
1: It's so hard to, like, evaluate the Browns when they have hugh jackson there because like i mean i don't know if you saw but like hugh jackson didn't want to start josh gordon josh gordon started because there was a miscommunication about personnel like yeah i've never seen a coach who like seems to have like a looser grasp on his team than hugh jackson like Mm -hmm. they're seemingly like every week like Antonio Callaway has that, like, um, getting arrested for the marijuana citation, and his punishment is he plays him in a preseason game. Like, a rookie (laughs) wants the reps he can get. Like, Josh Gordon comes back, and he makes it clear, he's not going to start, blah, blah, blah. Josh Gordon starts. It's, like, it's so bizarre in the fact that he has, like, a Todd Haley and a Greg Williams there, two, like, coaches who – definitely aren't afraid to assert themselves. And I feel like he just doesn't have a handle on the team. Doesn't have a grip on the team that I really, I really want a new coach there. And like, I never like to like advocate for someone getting fired and like, look, they tied the Steelers and off to one of their best starts in the past decade. Since uh,
2: 2004. I know. Did decade. you,
1: did you see that photo? of Yes. <laughs> that's just amazing. Browns. Oh, own one best start mm-hmm. since <laughs> Um, yeah, it's hard to evaluate the Browns and, it's because they're going into new Orleans this weekend mm-hmm. and I think did You're I getting blown out like that's happening.
2: yeah I, I don't I don't trust this group to be able to uh put up the points to hang with Drew Brees like I just think uh, they Tyrod's gotta he's got a ball out and I just don't think this offense is gonna open up the Rolodex that much to compete with the saints over four quarters.
1: Yeah. This is going to be a nice course correction for the saints, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, if you're looking at the line, I'm, I'm not sure what it is. I was flirting with the idea of putting them in my best bets, but mm-hmm.
2: at the same time, are in your best bets right now, um, we can find these on cbs slash NFL.
1: So I have the, the Panthers plus six okay. at, at Atlanta. Like, I don't know if the Panthers win. It just, it seems to me like they're not that different. Like, okay. the Panthers won 11 games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the Falcons won 10, obviously, when loss total doesn't always translate to the next year. But, you know, the Falcons losing Deion Jones uh, and Keanu Neal. And I think it's really worth noting that I think Christian McCaffrey could have a huge game because those guys are the guys who are often tasked with chasing down running backs in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah,
2: on... Deion, John, Deion, Deion Jones <laughs> is one of the best... Uh coverage linebackers in the game losing him is a much bigger blow than losing keanu neal just because demonte kazee has turned into a really good starter and he's gonna be capable player next to ricardo allen for the rest of the year but the Deion jones thing man like linebackers are are not as valuable as they used to be but like he is so good at just knowing where to be and deflecting balls and all that kind of stuff that like like you said whoever's going christian mccaffrey this uh this week it's it's gonna be a nightmare I, i can already tell that this is gonna be a high scoring game
1: and so this, according to pro football focus, Deion Jones or Keanu Neal was the primary defender on 47% of every running back target against Atlanta last year. That's not good. So to me, like, again, I don't know if the Panthers win. Like I'm not high on the Panthers this year, but to me, I think the six points is too much. Um, and then I also have the chiefs and Steelers going over the 52 and a half. <laughs> I almost yep. picked the chiefs. Um, I think it's like a five-point spread. I almost had them covering, and then at the last second, I was like, "That Chiefs defense is bad," and like, I don't want to overreact to the Steelers doing their annual crap the bed on the road thing against a bad team. Um, so like, it won't surprise me if the Steelers drop forty on them, but like, I think the Chiefs are also dropping thirty. Yeah, I'm
2: I'm right there with you.
1: I have the Chargers minus seven at the Bills, which like trusting the Chargers is. Nerve-wracking, especially when they're going across the country um, Mm -hmm. in potentially bad weather. But
2: But you're also getting Casey Hayward versus Josh Allen, which uh, seems like something that's going to be nice for him.
1: And it's like we're talking about, like, let's not overreact to week one. But I really think the Bills are that bad. Like, I don't think they—they, I think, are worse or just as bad as the Browns last year.
2: I think the Browns are a lot better this year. Oh, well, last year— (laughs) yeah I guess I I could see it I I I think I could see that and I just but I still think the Browns had more talent on the roster last year than the Bills do on their roster this year like their wide receiver group and Charles Clay and everything else it's just their offensive lines a dumpster fire um cutting Corey Coleman Kelvin Benjamin can't get separation like Zay Jones I think was there was the worst graded wide receiver by PFF last year like
1: he had one of the lowest target like catch rates i think in the yeah. industry. it was like 30 something percent
2: and LaShawn mccoy is not the guy he used to be and now teams are overloading the box because it's him and chris ivory so there's not a lot of running back receiver threat options going on there it's just i mean there's still talent like they still have Tradavius white who's a really good corner and he wasn't targeted at all last week which is a good indication that he's still um building off his stellar rookie year but uh they're just That offense is just a train wreck, and hiring Brian Dabble to run things. I mean, Rick Dennison obviously wasn't great last year, but uh, I think it's significantly worse with Brian Dabble from Alabama. Them trying to play like the Patriots is going to be a recipe for disaster for somebody like Josh Allen. I'm pretty low like you on this Bills team, and I think if we did not uh, think about the record last year and them overachieving, I think the unanimous verdict on this team would be oh yeah, this is a roster that should go no better than 4-12. and 12, But on the flip side, their division is pretty weak outside of the Patriots. So <laughs> they might just still sneak into like 5-11 and 11 just because I'm not a big believer in Miami. If Tannehill goes down, they're in real trouble. And then uh, the Jets, I mean, they still are starting the youngest quarterback since the merger. So you uh, you would think that they're still going to be more up and down for them. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think the Bills are definitely a team in gigantic disarray and the game I want to ask you about like with the spread I'm not I don't have it in front of me but uh the Texans and the Titans because I wanted to ask you about this Titans team because I think they are the most interesting team like you said the Lions are the least interesting I think the Titans might be the most interesting for me right now because they brought in Matt LaFleur my guy who I wanted to just get elevated to replace Kyle Shanahan um in Atlanta but I do have another take that I'm withholding right now. Maybe I'll talk to you about it off air that I'm writing about um, that I think uh, Falcons fans may not necessarily like all that much, but uh, it's, it's a strong take. I, I will leave it at that.
1: Is it promote um, Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach? No,
2: but it involves promoting a former offensive coordinator as head coach um, instead of letting him leave his team to go to another team in San Francisco like what if uh the falcons had just promoted the guy who had the best offense in football and uh let go Dan Quinn and just promoted Marquise Manuel to be DC full time what if they did that what if they kept the guy who kept this offense running where all the money has been spent because guess what this falcons defense is never going to be number 1 in football are, are you so you're saying they should have kept Kyle Shanahan I think they should have fired Dan Quinn and
1: promoted Kyle Shanahan yeah yes. i mean that's the I, take I think it's fine. Like I almost like I was thinking about not writing a story, but like during that season opening win, I was like thinking, are we sure Dan Quinn's a good coach? Like
2: I think he's a good coach. I just don't think he moves the needle enough. Like if he doesn't, obviously I just think if you have somebody like Steve Sarkeesian going into year two, I think his loyalty is nice and all that stuff. And I think he is a good motivator. I do think he's like a, top 15 top 10 coach but i also don't think he is someone as valuable as kyle shanahan is to a team like if you have someone like kyle shanahan especially with the amount of money they've invested in matt ryan matt ryan getting him to be a close to an mvp level player is priority number one and getting the ball to julio jones priority number two finding ways to utilize your two backs and tevin coleman and Devonte freeman are priority number three now they just tried to calvin ridley and like Kyle Shanahan would be unloading with these weapons right now. Like he would find ways to include, Edo Smith in this system now. And like, you have Jake Matthews, who's still playing at a high level, even after getting paid at left tackle. And the right side of the line is obviously a dumpster fire and this, that, and the other. But um, I just don't think this defense, like there was no pass rush against the Eagles last Thursday they it wasn't like this defense was flying around like they're good they they play them pretty well but it's still the Nick Bowles offense not the Carson Wentz Eagles offense so um I think we've little we've got a little overboard with like oh shout out to the Falcons for keeping the Eagles offense in and in back-to-back games and all that kind of stuff but it's like I mean it's still the Nick Bulls offense so um I don't know I just don't think Dan Quinn is as or I should say was as necessary to the Falcons title hopes as Kyle Shanahan was. And I think you're seeing that it's like, what is the use of having a 14th ranked DVOA on defense? If the offense falls significantly from first to just this red zone disaster that they are now, I I just, I think Kyle Shanahan has proven he is, was he is, or was significantly more valuable than Dan Quinn ever was to this Falcons team.
1: I agree. And like, I, I, at the time when the Bears had Fox and Adam Gase, I was very much saying the same type of thing about mm-hmm. keep Gase, fire Gox, Fox. Um, but th- at the same time, it's not like Adam Gase has like, wowed anyone necessarily there. So like, And like the problem is, is, like I agree with everything you say, but there's no way in hell they fire Dan Quinn after taking the team to the Super Bowl. Because no, if it, do- sure. if it doesn't was, work it out...
2: Never gonna yeah. It were going to happen. It would have been a very unpopular thing and it probably would have fractured the locker room and there were so many other variables involved that would prevent this from ever happening, but I do think they made the wrong choice in basically letting... I mean, Shanahan was going to leave no matter what based on the way that all ended. It would have been really awkward to run it back based on that 23 debacle, but at the same time, I do think they ended up getting the worst of the two. Like I don't think Dan Quinn will ever be as good of a defensive mind as Kyle Shanahan is as an offensive mind.
1: Yeah, no disagreement here. Um, The thing about... We were talking about the Titans is that I guess do we I feel like I should know this but we don't know what's going on with Marcus Mariota do we I, I mean, think he might like be expected play. to play but like I don't know like if he's still banged up I don't know I wasn't like obviously they lost and like they also lost Delaney Walker for the year uh-huh. um their left tackles hurt Uh, Taylor Lewin
2: and uh, the right tackle might also be out Conklin so if they're missing both their left tackle and right tackle hold on let me check my notes yes Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt uh, are going to be on the outside for the Texans on Sunday and uh, it looks like not having your left tackle and your right tackle against that sort of defensive front is a recipe for let me see yes a disaster
1: yeah, and the, the Titans are weird. Like, Admittedly, I did not watch much of that game, the 7-hour and 10-minute game that it ended up being. Um, but like, from my understanding, from the stuff I did see and from the people who did watch it, is that even before Mariota left the game, he wasn't very good. And, I mean, that's the theme of overreactions, and we shouldn't do that. That doesn't mean Mariota's going to continue being bad in a new offense. It's the first game, let's give him some time. But at the same time... I think we spent this entire offseason, or at least like I did, were thinking like Mike Mularkey was the problem in Tennessee, and now that they've got an actual offense that isn't from the Stone Age, um, Mariota would finally take off. And like I was a big Mariota fan coming out of college, probably entering this year, I still was. I don't think his stat line last year was his fault, but. Maybe at the same time we were giving Mularkey's offense too much hate, and like maybe it does have to do a little bit of something for Mariota. Again, it's one game. I don't want to overreact to it, um, but he wasn't good, and I think we all assumed he would be good because they simply swapped out offenses. And maybe it's going to be harder than that. And look, it's not like Miami has a good defense. And I get the weather was bad. And I get all that. Um, but I'm a little bit concerned about Tennessee. I'll say that I almost picked them to make the playoffs and I'm happy after week one. I didn't pick that. Um, the thing about the AFC South is I think every team has their big flaws. And so like they could still go on a run here. But, um, my, I guess my approach for Tennessee is I gotta, I gotta see it before I believe in it.
2: And it doesn't help that the AFC South is better across the board this year, I think, um, outside of the Texan secondary, which uh, is not good. Kevin Johnson, Sean, I don't think he had the best week against Gronk and Philip Dorsett and everybody else on the Pats.
1: If I – he's he also landed on the injured reserve. Uh, is, he not, oh, is he not playing in this game? No, he's on IR. He got a concussion.
2: Uh, I mean, he's had two in, like, the last couple yeah, years. Yeah, he's something. on IR. Oh, God. Well, I guess that's a good – thing for houston maybe i don't know tyron matthew looks good uh so that's a nice thing but, god uh, i always forget he's atrocious. on the texans yeah no he was he was loud and uh made his presence known and was frustrated with jonathan joseph being 43 years old in the backside. side <laughs> um yeah no i the Texans defense is really bad and uh, Deshaun Watson looked a little rusty and Alfred Blue is still playing for the Texans which is still amazing to me that it's like year eight for him and he's just he's doing stuff but they have to take away the quick slants and the bubble screens that DeAndre Hopkins does and then the will open up things and you have Will Fuller on the edge and I think the Titans defense is um gonna be fine but I am just concerned especially with Mariota um the new OC Matt LaFleur who I do believe in and um, I mean, he missed uh, Corey Davis a couple times in that game. And just watching the tape, it just seems like the matchup that I'm most interested in is how Deion Lewis does because he got a lot more snaps um, than Derrick Henry in week one, which was fascinating, but also not all that surprising because he can do more stuff than. Uh, and they like,
1: paid he can. him. Yeah. And, and Derrick Henry has been there and he's on his rookie deal. Like they're more incentivized, at least this regime, to play Deion Lewis. And we were talking about. Or You were talking about, you know, just a few minutes ago about how running backs have to be able to do it all, and that's what Dion Lewis is. And so, like, that's not that surprising to me. Um, I think he's a better overall player than Derrick Henry. Um,
2: that's why I never bought the whole, like, Derrick Henry can be your feature back. I'm like, well, no, I, not in today's NFL.
1: I kind of bought it before last year because we had never really – he's never really gotten the chance. But I think after last year, like, I think we kind of saw, like, he's not bad. Like, he's definitely worthy of playing. Um, but the project like superstardom, like, I don't think that's going to happen.
2: So I, it should be interesting to see what happens with Deion Lewis in this game, because James White was able to do a lot against that Texans defense. And I don't know who's going to be responsible for Lewis in this game, but I, I would expect big things from him. So we'll see if Mariota can get him the ball a lot in space and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think that's the most interesting game to me because I think it's a must win for both teams. I don't think... The Texans can afford to start 0-2 with this kind of stuff. There's a lot of pressure there. Um, and the Titans, just, they're, they did not look great <laughs> in that game. And uh, losing to the Dolphins is never, never a good thing. And uh, the AFC South is going to be tough because I think we may have overreacted to the Jags off-season And just like, oh, well, maybe Bortles falls down to earth. Maybe this receiving core limits them. But Leonard Fournette goes down and TJ Eldon was fine. This offensive line is still pretty good. Um, I don't know. I think the Jags are just going to have these low scoring bloodbaths, And then the Colts are fun because that was like the sneaky good game of the weekend, man. Like the Bengals who I'm not going to lie. I'm a gigantic homer for, and I still like Andy Dalton, but like Joe Mixon's the next like great top five running back. It uh, it's gross, but he's really good. And just watching him get out in space and the screens that he's able to do, and he's able to burst outside and all that kind of stuff that they can use with him. He's like Giovanni Bernard on steroids. And then you have A.J. Green, who's still back to form. You have John Ross making the leap, and you have all these different guys across the board. They traded for Cordy Glenn, so the offensive line's better. And Bill Lazor's offense, they were lighting the Colts defense up. Granted, they don't have a lot of talent. It's a lot of youth on that side of the ball for Indianapolis. But Indianapolis also, Andrew Luck, little rusty, had a bad pick early on, but they were up at one point in that game. And he found Eric Ebron on a big bomb and able to find T.Y. Hilton when necessary and uh, Wilkins looks good as like a fifth round pick for them. Uh, we'll see what happens when Mac gets back and everybody else. But if Andrew looks healthy, this is a really fun division. That like not a lot of defense because I think the Titans are gonna get lit up. The Texans defense is obviously a dumpster fire outside of Watt, Clowney, and Merciless. And then you have um the Jags just sitting there with the elite defense and the very very conservative Doug Marone, Blake Bortles. Please don't mess this up, offense. So. Uh, the AFC South is fascinating, but they can't afford to have these kind of losses early because the Jags, I think, are just going to coast to like 10 and six at the very worst.
1: Yeah, I think I th- I think the Jags win the division just because uh, just because of the defense. Um, and I mean, and they the, and play the, smart
2: football, right? Like, that's basically it. They're just smart and sound and good.
1: I'm exactly you were talking about being excited for the Titans game. Like the Jags Patriots game, I think, is a fascinating game. Um, because I want to see, I want to see the Patriots go up and I want to see the Jaguars not be in this, like, as they were against the Giants is we're kind of controlling, we're not up huge, but we're like leading therefore, like, let's just not do anything silly and let's just let our defense ride this one out. Whereas if Tom Brady goes out and puts up 21 points in the first half, like I want to see... If Bortles can open it up, and I don't think he mm-hmm. can, and that's like my fear with the Jaguars. like that's why I never want to pick them in a the game, especially when they're favored because I could just see them going down. and then I feel like once they go down, I don't think they can look, their run defense was not good last year, if I recall. Um, mm-hmm. So like I just think like for them, it's like it's all about like game flow and game situation. If they can stay up or stay in it, I think they're a heck of a team, but I think the second they go down, that's when I give up on them. And like, I I know they, they played well in the shootout against Pittsburgh. Um, their offense didn't play bad against new England, certainly. Um, but it's Blake Bortles. And like, at some point during the season, the, the Jaguars are going to lose a couple games because they have Blake Bortles. And that's it. And that's the shame of a team like that is that they've hitched their wagon to Bortles. And when they could have potentially gone after a cousins or, Traded for a Bridgewater, um, and they haven't, and it, I, I don't know. I think it's like it's it's, it's in a way like insulting to that defense. It really is.
2: <laughs> yeah, but at least they they reeled him in from the twenty-seven touchdowns, twenty-five pick, Blake Bortles from a couple years ago. That was fun in fantasy, but not good for on-field stuff and playing from behind all the garbage time stats. But yeah, there is a ceiling on Blake Bortles. Uh, tomorrow's game, though, very excited about it. Good Thursday night game. It's Bengals at home against the Ravens. Must see. Two 1-0 teams. The Ravens took care of business. They're doing the two-quarterback stuff. Shout out to like the 2005 Florida Gators, with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. But uh, I guess this makes Joe Flacco, Chris Leak of the NFL this year, which is, um, I think, more than fair um, in comparison. But uh, they both won the title. That uh, People forget that. But um, I'm excited for that. I think this is a must see. So, Sean, let's do this. Let's do our picks quickly on uh, how this week's going to go. Um, you know the spreads, I feel like. But I
1: actually I, I, have, I have it open so I can read it to you.
2: Perfect. Okay. I have Bengals outright against the Ravens. What do you have?
1: <sighs> I mean, this is the game I would, like, stay away from because Primetime Dalton. Um, I mean, both Bald- Primetime Dalton at home. In the regular season, it's um, it's Baltimore favored by one. I'll go Cincinnati. Just I don't. I think they're kind of equal. I don't think Baltimore should be favored on the road. So we I, talk Steve,
2: uh, Steve's Steelers Chiefs. Um, I have Steelers at home.
1: What do you? What about minus four? Would you?
2: Yeah, I still take it. I just think this Chiefs defense is terrible.
1: Um, I pick Steelers to win. Chiefs to cover.
2: Okay jets at home against miami uh
1: it's it's jets by 3
2: <sighs> ooh give me dolphins here this feels like a letdown spot from their rookie beat down um everybody's loving the jets this that and the other miami comes in and just uh wins in a very ugly close game cuz i feel like this was like an unwatchable game last year and this was really close too I, I like the Dolphins here.
1: I'll take the Dolphins, too, because I'm not buying the Jets hype, and I picked the Dolphins to finish second in division before the year, so I'm not going to. One, one I, game's not going to make me sway.
2: I think we just both love Adam Gase. Uh, Tampa Bay at home with no Vernon Hargraves, who is now out for the year, They're a first-round pick from a couple of years ago. Uh, but you know what? They're It turns out, investing in your defensive line, very nice, because uh, their defensive line is stacked and they were getting pressure, and uh, they're going to be terrible behind them, but at least they're doing that, and they have a lot of options. So, um, Bucks at home against the Eagles. It's Eagles yeah. minus
1: three. I have Bucks here. No, I, think it's I magic, have Eagles.
2: I think this is going to be another weird game. I don't know if Nick Foles can. This sounds insane out loud. I don't know if Nick Foles can score enough to hang with Ryan Fitzpatrick. On I Sunday.
1: well, the, here's the thing: is again, I would stay away from this game just because. Both these quarterbacks are such high-variance guys. Right. They're either awful or they're, or they're either insane. And so you just don't know on both sides of the ball what you're going to get. The only reason I would take the Eagles is because they've obviously got a more complete roster from top to bottom. Um, and to me, the quarterbacks—it it, it sounds insulting to Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles, but to me, the quarterbacks, in a way, cancel each other out.
2: Saints at home against Cleveland.
1: My, it's saints have to win by nine i'm i'm, I'm taking the saints i i yeah, lock I this that. is my lock
2: of the week the saints are not losing back to back. the bucks and the browns in.
1: i i think i have to swap that in
2: yeah i like it um washington at home against indianapolis this is gonna be a sneaky good game
1: <sighs> and it's it's the line is is redskins by six uh Ooh,
2: give me colts there then i think redskins win but colts cover
1: Give, give me, give me the skins. Alex Smith looked good. I think, I think this offense can be sneaky good because I think Alex Smith is better. What he's better at than Kirk Cousins is actually using the full field in terms of his reads, mm-hmm. and I think that's the way Jay Gurdon wants to run his offense. Um, like I remember last year, there was like Kirk Cousins missing a throw in the end zone, on the opposite side of the field because he never left his read and i remember jay gruden blaming him after the game or something like saying like he didn't make the right read and i i don't know i i, I kind of i used to hate alex Smith. i'm kind of like him now which is weird um i've always
2: liked him i give, think give he's me just the kids. right people just i don't know that guy just wins regular season games he i think <laughs> he does. washington wins here but it's uh it's close um buffalo at home against Los Angeles oh this might be my number two lock of the week the yeah. Chargers winning in Buffalo
1: yeah I've got this and I think they'll win by more than a touchdown
2: I will cancel the charge like Anthony Lynn has to be fired after this week if they lose this game <laughs> <laughs> done deal like there's just too much talent yeah, what like you, you go to
1: again you and you're losing to look you can in a way understand the loss of the Chiefs and like it's not his fault that his receivers dropped five passes for like what have would have been 150 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't go into Buffalo against a first year starter or first time starter behind that offensive line. You you can't lose that game.
2: Packers at home against Minnesota. This like, is
1: this is possible tough. to pick because we don't know about Rogers. Um, I mean, if if I had to like bet now, I would just say Vikings just because there's a chance Rodgers maybe doesn't play. And if, if he is hobbled, like there's a defense I can get after him and make him uncomfortable. Um, and I picked the Vikings to win the division, I think. So it would probably be wise of me to back that up by them beating the Packers. Uh, but it's, it, that's an impossible game to pick. Both, both good teams.
2: Give me the Vikings here. Uh, Falcons at home against
1: Carolina. I like the Falcons to win, but the Panthers to cover. I think it'll be like a field goal type of game.
2: Yeah, I think this is a rally game for them where they just have had the week from hell. Um, they lose in excruciating fashion to the Eagles again. Yeah, I think, yeah. I don't feel great. This is one I really don't feel great about, but I guess I'll go Falcons. Um, Tennessee at home against Houston. We talked about that. I have um, Houston
1: winning here. What do you have? <sighs> I don't like either of these teams i'll, I'll take i don't the, either i'll take but the texans john watson
2: going zero 2 Yeah. i just trust this might come down to me trusting watson over uh marcus Mariota and this offense um arizona at los angeles
1: so the, this might be the game i take out so i had the rams minus 12 and a half oh Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the Rams proved a year ago that they are a good team that beats up on bad teams. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to make of the Cardinals. Like, I don't think they're good, but like, I kind of expected them to be a little bit better than everyone was saying. Um, I mean, people forget that like last year they went like eight and eight without mm-hmm. without their quarterback and without their running back. Like, yep, they
2: were a Super Bowl favorite just a couple of years ago. Like this roster, obviously, they lost a bunch in free agents. So it, the problem with that comparison is that it's a very different team. Uh, especially on offense and uh, they're starting a rookie center and Andre Smith is a starter on this team and Justin Pugh their whole right side of the offensive line is just um a turnstile and it's it's gonna be a problem because let me check my notes here again Aaron Donald and Nadomkin Sue are on the opposing team this week so um that doesn't seem like a recipe for success and Sam Bradford uh He's in for a bad week again. I think
1: this, here, this, so. Yeah, this to me feels like like I'm definitely taking the Rams with twelve and I a think half. This is a blowout, unfortunately. We might get a Rosen sighting. Oh, that's true. I just like to me the Rams are that team. Like we saw on Monday night, where like even if you hang with them for a half, they know how to beat you up. And like it's not gonna be surprising when Bradford throws, you know, that fourth quarter pick six when the game's already out of reach. Um, they know how to put teams away. I guess I'm still debating if I'm gonna. Go Rams minus 12 and a half and take that out for the Saints. Um, okay. There you I don't go. Know. I don't
2: know. 49ers at home against the Lions. Give me 49ers here.
1: It's minus six. You still take them?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, minus six. No, I have Lions covering 49ers winning.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think this is like the classic overreaction to the Lions, and I think Stafford bounces back. He doesn't have the nightmare game, and I, I think it's a close game because I'm I'm lower on the Niners than most people.
2: Raiders at Broncos.
1: Minus five and a half to the Broncos. I'm going to take the Broncos.
2: Same here. I love their combination of Phillip Lindsay and uh, Royce Freeman and Demarius Thomas and Cortland Sutton. And uh, their offense is just like, I think Case Keenum threw the ball like 45 times last week. And I mean, he had three TDs, three picks, but uh, this Raiders defense, I don't think is going to have the same sort of pass rush that he was dealing with last week. And uh, like with what Seattle was throwing at him. So I think they light up the Raiders and uh, I think they win. I, I'm right there with you. I think they win the cover. Uh, Jaguars at home against New England.
1: Oh, <sighs> I I mean, look, I have my I have like two rules, which is like never bet against the Patriots, and also never bet with Blake Bortles. So I guess I have to take New England. Um, but that's a game I would stay away from.
2: Um, give me the Jaguars here. I I think this is a this is a Jaguars thing.
1: I mean again I'm not I'm not doubting it. just I like I, I I don't gamble anyways but like if I were gambling and if I ever bet against the Patriots and lost money I would just feel like the stupidest person ever because why would you bet against the best coach and maybe the best quarterback of all time.
2: I think it's more like this, what's going to be fascinating is the offensive line versus defensive line of the Jaguars because the Patriots sneaky have a good top five offensive line again, even without their first round pick at left tackle Uh because Trent Brown, it turns out is going to be a really good player for them that they traded a third round pick for from San Francisco. Uh He's a gigantic man and he's going to be matched up with Calais Campbell this week. And uh I don't know, it should be interesting to see how the Jaguars defensive line holds up. And it, you know what? Yeah. I don't think Jalen Ramsey respects Chris Hogan.
1: So, we'll see how that all works
2: it something tells me he he is not he's not a fan of this secondary I mean uh, this receiving court
1: um, this is my game of the week by the way uh like this what? Is, really what do you mean really? This might be the game between the two best teams in the a f c
2: yeah, but it's gonna be ugly to watch. I don't think this is going to be fun
1: i don't it was fun. it was fun in January oh, I'm much
2: more interested in like. Broncos Raiders at four o'clock on oh Jaguars God. Patriots.
1: I don't want to watch another half of Derek Carr's career. I want to
2: see this. Cause I
1: wonder like, this
2: is a big game for both teams. I, I just think that like the Broncos really need a win here to like calm the nerves of case Keenan being erratic and throwing the ball over the place. And this defense kind of taking another step back, but Von Miller also had three sacks last week.
1: So Derek I mean, is going to like, he is so bad at the slightest hint of pressure that I just can't imagine what it's going to be like when he has Vaughan, Chubb
2: and Von Miller. Yeah, that's like, why I'm just fascinated. It's, there's a lot of levels here that are. You're right. No,
1: the Raiders are interesting, even if they're bad, just because of the Gruden stuff. And look, he can move on from Carr after this year. Like that contract is cuttable.
2: Oh my God, are we already there? I mean, I
1: think so. Like, and like, like, I'm not just saying that because of Week One. I'm saying that. Look, I've been, I've been hating on Carr since. Uh, What year? What was his MVP year? 2016. When Mm. after the 2015 season, I wrote like a big like not a takedown. Like I'm not like not trying to be mean to him. Like I don't know the guy, but like I wrote a big thing about how like he's not going to be as good as we think he's going to be simply because the moment his offensive line isn't as good as it was during that year, he's he's not going to be good. And then Raiders fans hated me. And then of course he has this like MVP esque year and everyone's calling me an idiot. I think I was honestly a year too early on it. Because then I thought I think we start to see um some members of that offensive line get old and you have pressure start to creep in. And I think what we saw on Monday night was what we saw all of last year. It's that the minute pressure he thinks pressure was coming, pressure's not even there yet. He starts drifting back. He hasn't put his legs into his throws. And I think this is a real problem. And I think he was a mess. On Monday night, I think Gruden inherited this guy, and he has no loyalty to him. And in a way, it's like his like, it's his like get out jail free card, where it's like the Raiders are bad, and he can cut Carr and be like, look, Reggie gave him the contract. I didn't give it to him. We have these picks. Let me draft and develop my quarterback. This is why you hired me. And they're going to go to Vegas with a new quarterback. That's my take. I don't, I don't think, think they he's kind drafting of a
2: new quarterback. If he moves on from Carr, he's trading for like Jameis Winston. <laughs>
1: oh God! Um, I, mean, I, I, I the two quarterbacks I probably hate on the most are probably Jameis and, and and Carr. But I I put it this way: I don't know if they're cutting him this year. I don't think Derek Carr is the Las Vegas Raiders quarterback.
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't think they drafted about because that is uh they got I mean, the picks John though.
1: Gruden's thing, but they have the picks. Like that's what makes me think they might use one of those picks on it.
2: I don't think so. I think John Gruden is like he's too old and too. I I just I think he's going to look around the league and like which veteran can we use these picks to trade for?
1: Jameis Winston in Vegas. What 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 could go wrong?
2: Yeah, Uh, maybe Drew Brees will be old enough by that point for uh, John Gruden to make the trade or Ryan Tannehill, future uh, Las Vegas Raider Ryan Tannehill. Who knows? Um, We'll we'll see. Uh, We are down to Cowboys Giants, which looked like a good game a week ago, and now it's a Sunday night game that. I I mean these games are always crazy it seems like, but at the same time, uh, not exactly enthused in watching Eli Manning versus Dak Prescott right now.
1: At least you get Barkley and Zeke and as Zeke someone had like 15 carries last week it's as not someone like Zeke, yeah as someone who owns both of them and both of them in different leagues like at least I will have like fantasy stuff to watch for. Mm-hmm. But you're right, like I'll I'll take the Cowboys, um, just because I think the Giants low key. I have soccer. the Giants. Okay. okay. And like I don't know, I don't think Dallas is good, but like to me, they scream like mediocre. Mm-hmm. And I think the Giants are bad. Like I think they're straight up just bad.
2: Yeah, I don't feel great about either of this, but I just feel like it's gonna be a weird one where the the Giants win and this is ugly, and then we have some serious like is Scott Lanahan getting fired after this game talk?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, like I just they they've got no receivers, man. <laughs> like it's I still uh, like
2: Michael Gallup, and I still like.
1: Yeah, but you like, him, you like them. You like him a year or two from now. You don't like them right yeah. now. Yeah, receivers never come in and dominate. Like I feel mm-hmm. like the last five years has shown us that. It's that receivers, in a way, like in a way, it's kind of like that new quarterback where like they're not going to really make that many. They're not going to be an every down receiver their first year. It's just not. There's too much I think to learn, if, especially if they're coming from these spread systems um I I just I don't think I think it's too hard to count on a rookie to contribute right away
2: yeah um but you know it worked out for Lacan Treadwell Brandon Perriman yeah um who is okay now speaking of Kevin White the Bears Monday Night Football hosting the Seattle Seahawks I have Bears and I don't even know what the spread is but give me
1: minus three and a half which is like Mm. I wanted it I wanted it at three so bad um Mm. So this is another one of my best bets that I could take out for the Saints. Um, I just don't know how Seattle's going to block that defensive front. And, like, I don't know. I I think, in a way, I'm going to dive deep into, like, the bag of cliches. I think this is, like, a statement Bears game after that debacle, where they come out after a long week of rest at home for the first time um, with a new coach. And I think their strength which is their front seven, I think it's going to take advantage of Seattle's weakness, which is their front five. And I think you have Quill Mack in game shape. You have Roquan at least able to play more than like the 10 snaps he played in and seattle doesn't have doug baldwin either like i don't know how that's huge we can't
2: downplay that he's a top five receiver and like i will be betting against the seahawks every week they don't have doug baldwin
1: right and like i don't i'm not confident in the bears offense because i'm not confident in trubisky yet but i think negi can scheme enough things and look they don't they only have to win by four points I, i i don't know how they're gonna like russ for the seahawks to win this game russell wilson has to go superman Right, like he has to do that thing that he certainly can do, uh, but he doesn't have Jimmy Graham anymore. And hey, maybe this is the Brandon Marshall revenge game. Maybe, maybe that's what this will end up being. I will bet against that, yeah. and I, I just think Khalil Mack against that offensive line is going to be really fun to watch. Um, it, it comes down: can the Bears score enough points? Um, I think so. I give me the Bears.
2: I will say. Shout out to Trey Flowers, who was my guy on the Seahawks preview podcast uh, I did a couple weeks ago. Um, He looked like the guy to me that was going to be like the next great Seahawks corner, just with the size and speed and everything else. And it looks like they found their guy next to uh, uh, Shaquille Griffin. So those two are going to be good on the outside. I don't think Bradley McDougal was as good as he graded out last week for the full year. But, you know, that's a nice thing. And the Seahawks, I just think uh, the idea of Brian Schottenheimer outdueling Matt Nagy Uh, This week doesn't seem all that likely. And I think Jordan Howard was like under talked about this week. I think he was really, really good. Also,
1: they taught him to catch. They did. This is like forget all the sins of Nagy's third down calling and all that. If he taught Jordan Howard how to catch, like that's a game changer
2: yeah if you're averaging like five yards on the ground you also can get four to five catches for like 65 yards every game then that's insanely valuable
1: right and then you have the fact that you can use both him and Tariq Cohen and defenses defenses key. have no idea that exactly yeah. like I think this is gonna be a fun offense as mm-hmm. Trubisky gets more confidence and he was confident in the beginning and then they had a couple of bad series and he just lost all confidence um but uh, the Bears aren't playing Aaron Rodgers this week I think I think that like this is another top 5 quarterback though. Yeah, but not I mean there's only one Aaron Rodgers and That's true. And for as much as we've talked about Aaron Rodgers supporting staff not being great, like let's look at the Seahawks skill position players and their offensive line and mm-hmm. I think if, if Russell Wilson wasn't on the Seahawks, the Seahawks would be in competition for the the first pick in the draft.
2: Yeah. Which I wonder if Seahawks fans are like, do we, it's a weird situation. That's a whole nother podcast of their weird <laughs> roster situation. The John Snyder drafts in the last like four years. Um, But yeah, that does it. All right, Sean, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, happy. Thanks, man. All right. Um, But also tell the people where they can read your work this week, what you have up, the best bets and everything else on CBS Sports.
1: com. So just click the NFL tab. Um, should be one of the covers there um i'll usually tweet something at sean j wagner um yeah that's pretty much where you can find myself all right
2: uh you have to be a nickname because you have a long name and i wanted to say it and it's mcgaw but i wanted to say it. let's do sw swm mm, that's how that's
1: while. how cbs puts me on budget um really swm mm, they do the okay. same with jason lock and for jlc
2: uh, all right we're gonna do that you're gonna be in the new jason lock and Ford, then <laughs> that's a, that's a nice compliment, I'll take it. All right. SWM. Let's make this stick. It's your new branding identity there. <laughs> All right, Sean. I really appreciate it. Go read Sean's great work, and we will talk in very soon, sir. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All right, welcome back to the Chasing Us Podcast. I am now joined by Dylan Butler of MLSsoccer.com, one of the best soccer writers out there. And also, Dylan, I have to start off. I very much appreciate how easy it is to digest all the MLS stuff going on on the website. It's uh, this and NHL.com do a great job of just making it easy because my, my one rule of running a website uh and i have no power to change any of this but i do have a strong opinion on this which is if it's not easy to find the latest columns news and everything else then start over start the whole thing over and uh <laughs> it's easy for me to get everything i need every day and go through all of that so dylan i just had to give a shout out to the people at com in general because it's a very clean easy to read site that i very much appreciate because Uh, As MLS continues to grow, it's still kind of difficult to find a lot of great insight and a lot of great stuff on all the different teams coming in. And I believe we are up to 63 teams now in the MLS uh, between now and the next four years. So uh, more and more content, more and more teams. And uh, we need uh, great writers like you around so that we can uh, continue to get more updates on what David Beckham's up to in Miami.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I pre- first of all, I thank you very much. Uh, I, I will pass uh, along your words to to those in charge of, of such things, and 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 thank God really too, because this late in the season, if if there had to be a complete overhaul of the website, that might just be an absolute mess. So uh, yeah. we're 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 in good shape now, heading into the playoffs. So, so that's that's good news right there.
2: And you and I are uh, winking there. Uh, they can't see us, but we're winking at NBA.com to do something because. Uh, <laughs> That site is a dumpster fire. And I don't work at NBA.com. A lot of great people, even though David Aldridge, I think, just left for The Athletic. So, uh, Steve Ashburner, I believe, is my lone guy now out there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Dylan, I'm excited to talk about a little MLS with you tonight. But um, I want to first ask you, this is the thing that everybody's worried about in Atlanta now, is Tata might hmm. be going back to Argentina or Colombia. Um, he gave this interview on a radio station this week. Um, that he basically like put to bed some of the rumor like whether or not there was contact or anything like that but also just saying that he was open to the idea of it it ever came to it it was a really weird thing but then again he's on the last year of his contract and uh dirty south did a great job of explaining like you know he's not someone who likes to stay at one spot for a long period of time and maybe this was something that was always coming, but uh, I don't know what to think about this. What do you make of the Tata news right now for Atlanta United?
3: Yeah, it's interesting, right? because in in a matter of a few days, uh not that he's being linked to it, but he's being mentioned as uh, as a guy who would probably be great for the u s men's national team mm-hmm. uh, and then you see the story about uh, argentina and and talks that or 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 reports that there are talks. Uh, then he says there aren't, but now Columbia's is an interesting job. So uh, I, I think I think similar to what we saw here in New York with Patrick Vieira, who, who left midseason from NYCFC, I think where, this, where there is uh, some smoke, there is some fire. Um, he, well, he's done an unbelievable job, obviously, at, at Atlanta um, because of the job that he did and because of his past. No doubt uh, there's going to be plenty of suitors for him. Um, and, uh, as you pointed out, Chase, I mean, he, he's not a guy who usually, uh, stays at a, at a place very long to begin with. So, um, I think when you hear a lot of the, the, the team, um, a lot of the talk this year, certainly with Atlanta can, and, and, and the first thought was about their veteran players and, and about possibly losing, um, key guys, right? Like Al and and Martinez, maybe to Europe. And, and the talk was it's supporter shield. It's MLS cup. This year, there's no waiting for some for next year. I think now part of that onus or the emphasis is is Tata as well, right? Because who knows what what the five stripes will look like in a year's time? But I but I think it will likely be a very different looking team. So I, I think it's all about winning now and winning this year and celebrating that, and then and then kind of seeing what the future uh, holds. But Uh, I'm not surprised he's he's drawing interest, and I'm not surprised that uh, he has interest as well at possible jobs outside of Atlanta.
2: Do you think whether or not they win the MLS Cup this year will affect the decision for Tata? Do you think there are certain guys on the team that it may play a bigger role for for them do you get the sense that this is like you you mentioned that this is kind of turning into an all or nothing year and i mean joseph breaking the record and all that kind of stuff where it's like everything really has gone right for them and this is the year to do it if you're going to do it and um i i don't know i just i hadn't really considered the fact that like this team that's just enjoyed so much success and just the roster is just so stacked and they've invested a lot in the resources and they've um, obviously breaking MLS attendance record seemingly every home game. Like, everything is going swimmingly, but it's kind of crazy to think that they have done everything right and they still might lose all the important pieces that uh, ha- they've developed and they've gotten here and everything else. Like, even if you – that's a the- – I don't even know if I would – Coin this as like a, the trouble with sports, but it's just like one of the downfalls of just like, you know, even if you do everything right and you put the right team on the field and you, um, you make all the right sound decisions and you invest properly and you have the backing of the city and everything else, you still might end up in a situation like Atlanta where it might still just, like you said, next year, likely a lot of new faces and maybe starting from the manager. And I mean, they already lost one of the key members of the front office but apparently he was never uh planning on staying long term and he's moving on to Miami I believe and all that so um it's just kind of crazy to think about how much turnover there is for a team that's just been so stable and so good all year sure
3: but uh well two things to that point one is that uh Atlanta from the very beginning they never shied away from what they thought their philosophy was and at the time it was groundbreaking to to sign young players, right? They weren't bringing in established stars. They no one uh, really had heard of uh, Joseph Martinez or uh, Ezekiel Barco or or uh, again Miguel Amaron. Y- you sign these young guys, you grow them up through your system, and then and then ultimately you will sell them off to a suitor. Elsewhere in, in Europe, and in South America, for 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 a profit, right? So it, it's still a bit, it's still a business, and and no one knows that better, of course, than than Arthur Blank, and I think that was always part of the plan. Um, and, but, but secondly, to that to that point as well, it's 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 not as if this is like you said, it's not as if this is unique in 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 the sporting world. Even the the biggest clubs in the world, uh, look, Real Madrid, right? You you would have assumed you'd have Cristiano Ronaldo there for as long as he wanted or as long as you can keep him there and you, and they can throw as much money uh, as, as feasible to, to him. And yet he still makes a move right in the off season. So uh, I think it's just generally the reality of all sports today. You don't see those guys that are with one team for 15 years anymore. And, uh, there's, there is always going to be a revolving door. And I think that's the same uh, is true here. I think you I think as fans, you you appreciate what you have in the moment. You hope they can make a run, a, a deep run in the playoffs, perhaps again. Supporters Shield and MLS Cup, and kind of see you, you know you put your trust in, in in the powers that be who originally brought those players here uh, to maybe find more of these uh, budding stars uh, for for maybe Atlanta United 2.0.
2: That's already just scary to think about because people <laughs> just, this city really loves this team. And they really he's love Joseph up. Martinez. And it's- they really love Miguel Almiron, And they really love Ezekiel Barker. No, I'm just kidding. They really don't like him very much because he is, <laughs> he got paid a lot of money and has not been very good. But he's also um 19 years old. So maybe uh, give him some time. It's uh if you watch the games he does feel invisible a lot and all that kind of stuff, but when you have Joseph Martinez and Miguel Almiron doing what they do and this their chemistry and all that, like I just I don't really care. Like they're winning a lot of games and it's fine and I I don't like piling on a nineteen year old kid at this point, but it does seem like he's a very controversial controversial figure in the sense that like i think people's expectations for what he would do this year were a little too high but at the same time he's still a good player and maybe he's the next guy up that you're talking about where it's like if joseph leaves or almiron leaves it's like Ezekiel Barco, 20 year old step up man it's uh now your team and you need to go break joseph martinez's record next year or something like that but i don't know man i think it, it would a lot of people would be really bummed especially if joseph martinez leaves because he really does feel like a star. He absolutely is a star and, and it, like in the market, like it's just in no, MLS terms where it feels like the city, like if he walked around anywhere in Atlanta, he's easily recognizable. And I don't know if that's the case for like a lot of MLS stars in their cities.
3: I Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, um, and the beauty of him too, I think in his stardom is that he's, he, I don't know. It's like, he's almost a, uh, He's not as Latan, right? Where he's not mm-hmm. he's not seeking it necessarily, right? He's he's his action, his play is certainly leading to celebrity, but he's still very much he. Everything he says, he's all about the team. He cares more about wins than his goals, and uh, he's been a revelation. Certainly, it's I don't I, I again to the point of enjoying what you have now. I don't think we'll ever see a guy unless, of course, he's here next year and does it again, you're not going to see another guy, I think, have the strike rate in a, in a season. You know, this is one of those, uh, like, home run records, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky goals in a season. I, I don't know if we're going to see another another season like this. And, and, and there's still, the scary part is there's still, a few you know, a few more games left in the regular season against teams that are below the playoff line. So he can still probably have another nine or ten goals.
2: The only way I'm okay with Almiron and Martinez leaving after the season is if Christian Christian Pulisic is uh, filling in for them. That's the rule. <laughs> if you want either of them, you have to send over. I. This is uh. That's that's the rule. Pulisic has to come over to MLS and play for Atlanta United. That's that's the deal.
3: Well, I'll, I'll pass that on to, to That be over at Atlanta and uh, see if they can get that going for you. I appreciate it.
2: Um. <laughs> so if you had to guess, this is the last thing on Atlanta United, and we'll move on. If you had to. We are recording this on September twelfth. If you had to guess which guys are still around next year among the big three that we just talked about, who do you think sticks and who do you think doesn't? Uh,
3: I I don't think I don't think Almeron does. Oh no! Uh, I think there's a chance that Martinez does.
2: Okay. Uh,
3: and 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 I'm there's an even better chance uh, that Barco stays and and maybe as as you mentioned kind of goes from supporting cast now to a lead role, um, Mm. with a year under his belt, a year of maturity. Um, I think, I think, uh, Hector Villalba, there, they'll still be a a good cast of, of characters, but, uh, I don't know. I I mean, there's been so many rumors about Almaron, especially, and, and, and it's heated up a little bit of late for Martinez, but, uh, again, I, they're not going to, they're going to get the best possible price. So it's not like they're uh, they are hot commodities. So if they keep them, obviously that's great for for Atlanta and and for the franchise. But uh, if they do go, it's going to be for a, for a hefty price for sure.
2: Okay. What about Tata?
3: I don't think he stays. Oh my <laughs> I don't, god I don't think sorry stayed. atlanta
2: united fans that's a it's a lot of yep. turnover but uh yep. no pressure or anything to win it all and uh make the boast of uh all these guys but um speaking of a lot of change in major league soccer clint dempsey officially mm-hmm. gone it's uh he uh seattle i mean i don't think anybody thought seattle would be where they are th- at this point this season um they lost a lot to injury and everything else but uh dempsey he was one of the first like early 2000s mid-2000s recognizable stars not only for the national team but for the seattle sounders and um it's just it's kind of weird it kind of reminds me of gerard and liverpool and guys like that where it just felt like they were going to be there forever and just watching them play without them on the pitch is just very strange and uh i want to get your thoughts what do you think the legacy of clint Dempsey? not necessarily in united states soccer because i think we all know how that looks and everything else and he's just going to be a beloved guy there no matter what but um, specifically with the sounders and what he accomplished there what do you think people are going to remember not just seattle fans but also major league soccer fans in general
3: yeah i mean uh well a a little bit to to your to your point um with u.s soccer i for me honestly i think he's the greatest player to ever play for the u.s um everyone a lot of people will point to landon Donovan, but. Um, what he brought to the U S and also he brought the same to Seattle is, is, is this swag, right? Like this, this confidence, this, it's almost like you'd see from a, from a basketball player uh, on the court where he just has that look where, you know, I'm going to beat you. You don't have a chance. Uh, I, I'm going and to, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do you dirty. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it, I'm going to put the ball through your legs. I'm going to, I'm going to, try the shot that, that doesn't seem possible. You know, a lot of people kind of referred to it as like a, like a sauce, right. That he had. And, and he definitely had that, um, with Seattle, you know, they were a team before Dempsey came aboard that, uh, were a very good team. They, they were, they were Atlanta United before Atlanta United was there. So they were that, they were that model expansion franchise, yeah. um, but they just couldn't get over that hump. And, and, Dempsey came and he brought everything that he did in the English Premier League and, and he was a known commodity and you even hear from the Sounders players where his will to win and he brought it every day he brought it in the training ground some guys were like I don't even think he liked me just because of how hard that he competed it just it just raised the level of everyone around him and and ultimately got them to to win an MLS Cup
2: yeah I mean it's uh he got what seattle needed and like you said the mls cup is huge for him um looking back but uh it is just kind of crazy and kind of sad that uh he's gone and i it's one of those definitely like oh i'm getting old clint dempsey's just retired now he's gone
3: well the funny thing is i I brought that up to tyler adams uh, of the new york red bulls uh just the the i think the same day it happened because the red bulls Mm -hmm. were at a home game and he said the same thing he said listen i grew up Watching Clint Dempsey and Stuart Holden in the English Premier League, and those were guys that you know they were doing what I that I at one point that, that at that point I was dreaming of, of playing professional soccer. So um, the pathway that that Dempsey uh, kind of paved is now being realized by guys like uh, Tyler Adams. A lot of the younger guys that we saw play Mexico last night for for the U.S. Uh, Dempsey helped lead them along and 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 say to them, you know what, you, you can do a little bit of trickery, you know, like a Timmy Weah, you, 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 know, you can, uh, mega guy it, it don't worry about it. You know, it, it's not, it's, uh, it can be the American way.
2: Who do you think is the next star for the Sounders? Did they have him on the roster right now? Or do you think he's, uh, not there yet?
3: Well, I mean, it, the, the obvious to that is just, again, with Rui Diaz and what he, what he's done. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think, uh, and again, he's just—he's brand new to, to the team and to the league, so um, he'll get so much better, I think, as uh, as he gets more comfortable with his surroundings. Um, I don't know if he gets enough uh, recognition, but but what Nico Ladero does in the middle of their field is, is phenomenal. He's such an engine to that team. Uh, Roll down, right? We've seen him start to maybe emerge a little bit with the U.S. national team. He's another guy who we already know about, but. I think is is maybe ready to take that next step. But um I don't know, I don't know if they have a, a pure superstar. I think it's one of the reasons why they're doing so well is they do have a pretty a pretty solid group of of good to very good players.
2: Yeah. And uh I mean like we said at the beginning of the conversation, it's they're they're not as bad as what we were expecting, right? Like they're sitting in the sixth spot in the Western Conference. They have forty one points. Um they're right there with Portland because apparently they're just confined to Portland all the time. Everywhere they go they can't escape uh the Portland Timbers, but um yeah, it just it, it's just going to be weird, but the Sounders being good is like one of those things where it's like sports is just it's one of those they're one of those teams now because of Clint Dempsey where it just looks weird when they're not good, and I think Clint Dempsey deserves a lot of credit for building that brand and uh turning Seattle into an MLS powerhouse even though they have fallen off in recent years. Um, I think this is still a city that loves Major League Soccer and they are um, just a franchise that uh, everybody wants to see do well because the lime green jerseys are just something that have become a staple in MLS. And I think a lot of people when they think Sounders will be thinking about Clem Dempsey for like the next 10 plus years.
3: Yeah, I think everybody except those other two teams in the Pacific Northwest Northwest uh, want them to do well. So it's Portland and Vancouver, and of course Vancouver Seattle this weekend is is one of the marquee matchups of uh, of Week Twenty Nine, where um, you looked at you, you said the standings there. There's one point uh, uh, separating those teams. Vancouver's below the line. Seattle's above the line. It's part of the whole Cascadia thing. Um, Seattle's won uh, eight in a row. Vancouver's unbeaten in five or six, so uh, that should that should definitely be a fun matchup. But but uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I think it's 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 interesting. Uh, you know, some some purists might not like the path to their success, where they kind of almost not that they th- not not that they take off in the first half, but they have this horrible first half of the season. It's the third year in a row, and they have this massive second half turnaround. Where they have these long unbeaten streaks, and it gets them into the playoffs, and it also gets them into the playoffs on a on a on a hot note, and then the Sounders continue from there. So I think some teams are like, "Dude, we try to play 34 games, and all of a sudden you're playing 17 or 18, and and uh, and you're red hot come the playoffs, while well, we're maybe a little bit tired." So it's it is an interesting uh, way that they're finding themselves in into the playoffs. He last now going on to three years, but uh, listen, if it, if it's worked for them. Uh, and it has i i guess why uh why stop doing that
2: i was at the sounders versus atlanta united game a couple weeks ago
3: oh yeah the old, the, the, the 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 shade being thrown back and forth afterwards and brian it was,
2: talking it was pretty interesting i didn't think i would see a more heated and just kind of ridiculous atmosphere <laughs> than the atlanta united orlando city games from earlier sure. this year yeah. but uh, seattle atlanta was just as crazy and uh got to say don't enjoy watching Seattle play soccer at all. They're very defensive minded. They are some team that just plays keep away. They know they have a terrible offense and uh, they were just, they're they're sound defensively. They're a top five defense, but they know that. And it's uh it's unbearable because Atlanta United's just trying to, like they were just struggling so much. They were taking so many shots on goal and everything else. And then there's some questionable calls and all that kind of stuff. But um, just, so many shots, so many corners, so many just opportunities in that game ending the way it did was, uh, was very frustrating. I got to say, the word, fans I were not
3: happy. Looking, Yeah, <laughs> I think the word you were looking for is pragmatic. That's the that's the. Positive. They are a very
2: pragmatic team,
3: yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it works. I mean, they they might be in the playoffs just because of their pragmatism. So there you go. There is a... <laughs> there's a good thing going for them, but it is kind of crazy that there's like a, uh, they are plus eight in gold differential and, uh, Vancouver, who you're talking about, they're only one point away from as minus seven <laughs> point differential. So it's, uh, it's a little bizarre. So I guess they've just been kind of an unlucky team to some extent. And Vancouver is looking out in, uh, more ways than none. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, this is not something I had in the itinerary, but I would do want to ask you cause it just came up as we we're talking about teams and cities, but, uh, where are you at with uh, Columbus Crew moving to Austin?
3: Um, I I have kind of mixed emotions for that because I, I I've been around, followed I've covered the league since 2001 and 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 I have followed the league more or less since its inception and and you know look they're an original franchise so you kind of want to see them where they are it, but you also understand how great a team would be in Austin, right? So, so for me, I, I I would love the best of both worlds. I would love for the crew to stay where they are or maybe a, like a crew point to again, like a 2.0, maybe a different ownership that team stays there. And then there is an expansion team uh, in in Austin, because I think um, the fans, there uh, long suffering. They have the, they have the MLS cup um, when they beat the red bulls uh, a few years ago, but uh, they deserve better than, than what they've, uh, been treated like these last couple of years. And, and it, and it's kind of cause and effect, right? So you hear they're going to move and there's all this talk. And of course, uh, the hardcore supporters are going, but you're not seeing the crowds now. So you're getting 10,000, 11,000 at a game at map free, but how can you blame them? Why would you, why would you, uh, spend the money to support a team or, or put money in, in an owner's pocket who is, who is so against them staying there so yeah. it's kind of a sad situation uh i the you feel worse the worst for those fans guys mm-hmm. who or, or are fans who you know bought in from day one or ultimately learned to love them or or came aboard mls just like atlanta fans right where maybe some of them didn't follow right away but hey you know listen i might like manchester united but these are my guys they're in my hometown I've got to support them so for for those fans you you really feel I think the worst
2: yeah and it just feels gross it feels kind of like uh the Maloofs in Sacramento from years ago and ultimately they did not end up moving but uh it does just feel like, oh my God, Are Like, do you just not care? Do you just know that the public support uh, lack thereof doesn't really concern you? So you're just like, no, I I mean, we're moving to Austin and uh, that's that, like no matter what. And you know, it's been really awkward just reading the reports of the city council meetings in Austin and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you've seen the renderings in Austin. And like you said, they're a team that deserves, it is kind of weird thinking about like putting a professional sports team in Austin. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, that's just gonna sound weird to me no matter what. Um, And if I was going to move a team from Columbus, I would move them to like Cleveland, a bigger stage, like put them in the Brown Stadium. Why not? I I could see (laughs) that working out. But Columbus is a sneaky big city, too. Like, I think it's actually like a bigger city than like Memphis, New Orleans, I want to say. I think they're bigger in that regard. But um, yeah, it's just it's sad all around. But ultimately, I'm sure Austin will be a good city and it'll be a good environment and all that. But like you said, I uh, feel bad for the Columbus crew fans and i'm gonna miss those black and yellow uniforms because uh they're one of the best in mls i
3: think they you you know when they're playing that is that is <laughs> so set. you
2: don't agree that's the nicest no i way do, I've heard that. I, okay. do like I do like them but i you mean that's like the bumblebee play. uniforms okay hey, sure why not yeah um who are the next two getting uh, expansion uh teams uh, is it detroit and sacramento is it vegas at this point just because they're getting everybody now and we <laughs> now know that they can be a viable pro sports town and gambling's legal so everybody's moving to vegas or who are the next two because we have fc cincinnati who look like they're going to be a juggernaut obviously miami who um are now real miami basically is that, or no inter miami inter yeah, inter, yeah. um so that's kind of cool and yeah, and I mean, LAFC has been a huge success and I've heard nothing but great things about that stadium and the galaxy got late on and everything else. So, um, who are the next two teams for you? Uh,
3: I, well, I, I went to, I went to Detroit a couple of years ago, not, not for, for soccer, but you could see what they're doing downtown and, and, mm-hmm. and revitalizing it and, and you know, now the Pistons went from, uh, you know, now they're in the same arena as the Red Wings and, right. and they moved from the sub- suburbs to downtown. And, um, there's a great, you know, like hip food scene going on there. So, uh, I, I'm kind of rooting for Detroit to, to get one of those. Um, I think Sacramento might be a little bit uh, ahead of, uh, uh, of them to, to get that franchise. I, I'm hearing a lot of good things about what they're putting forward. Um, but I, I would love it for those to be the next two. Um, Las Vegas. I don't know if you ever get a chance to see. I would. I would urge any fan, if if you have like insomnia or if you are up up late at night, watch one of the the USL games, the Las Vegas Lights. Uh-huh. Holy cow! So entertaining. So really. So I mean, it's just it's everything about it is pure Vegas. You know, they're dropping money from a helicopter into the city. <laughs> It's just—it's crazy. It is absolutely. I mean, it's everything that you would hope. Is this real
2: money or just like Monopoly money?
3: Are we talking here? I I think it's actual money. Okay. Um. Uh. The announcer is 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 crazy. He's saying, "Oh, now here comes the Usain Bolt play." Like, what are you talking about? They've got Freddie Adu. You know, they—they. Oh, you have me sold now. They have Freddie Adu. I'm in. The team has an actual DJ in the locker room (laughs) spinning before the games and at halftime. I mean, this is like. As Vegas as you could you could hope for so I I highly recommend um the 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 Las Vegas lights experience for sure
2: okay yeah we're elevating them to the MLS let's just <laughs> elevate the Las Vegas lights that's incredible
3: they're, I, they're, I love it their uh their their owner slash technical director I think slash coach is is smoking on the sidelines and he's getting red cards every other game this is just- John Daly their coach what's going on here <laughs> it's awesome though it really is okay wow
2: um i'm definitely gonna youtube this after we're done here uh real salt lake they are the flavor of the month flavor of the summer um a lot of great work on mlsoccer.com covering just how they're doing this and what's going on with this team and that they've just defied the odds in a lot of ways but what do you make of real salt lake and them becoming one of the hottest teams in uh, major league soccer right now
3: well i mean they've um from the start of the year, that they they have been awesome at Rio Tinto Stadium, um, which also I, I also highly recommend going there. It's one of my favorite uh, venues in all of Major League Soccer uh, with the, with the views and the mountains. It's it's great. But uh, they've consistently been very good at home at the start of the year and until until their recent turnaround. They've been horrible on the road. So they they were one of those teams where you know it's great you have ten wins uh, at at home but you have one on the road. Uh, they found a way these last couple of games to to get some road victories, um, and they and and now they're scoring goals in, in bunches. Right, fourteen goals last three games, all wins. Um, you know, Petke Mike Petkey has uh, he's kind of switched and altered and 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 tried to find the right combination of players. Uh, at some games he's not even playing a Kyle beckerman right who's who's another one of those guys that you always expect to be in the middle of the field um he's kinda he's kind of changed him a little bit he's brought he's brought Sonny in in the midfield and he's been great um he's moved uh he's moved an Albert rusnak up front which has also paid dividends um but if I can and i don't want to get their fans too upset i'm gonna pour a little bit of cold water over Real Salt Lake right now they are red hot yes they've won um, their last three they only have one loss uh, since uh, going back to July 14th but if you look at their last three wins they win at Houston a team below the playoff line that's hasn't won I think in their last nine or ten games then they beat Colorado a team that was I, th- I think finished with nine guys uh, they beat them six nil and they are one of the worst teams this year, Colorado. And then they, and then they finish that run uh, at home, beating the Galaxy six to two. And then the Galaxy fired their coach.
2: Yeah, you got their coach
3: fired. So, <laughs> so uh, it's not like they're It's not like this is a run that's that has Atlanta Red Bulls, NYCFC in it, right? So I, I think we'll find that a little bit more coming up. They go to Atlanta on September twenty second. Uh, I expect them to to beat Minnesota on on the weekend, uh, and then then they go to Sporting Kansas City. Then they have Portland. Uh, so I think I think we'll know a lot more uh, about Salt Lake in the next uh, three to four weeks. But uh, but right now, yeah, everything is going uh, really well for them.
2: Okay, uh, are you an FC Dallas believer?
3: I am. You know why? Because it, Oscar Pereja is he's a magic man. I I mean, maybe that's a guy that should go to Vegas because Mm -hmm. it seems like every move that he makes turns to gold. Uh, You know, you, you you lose Amaro Diaz and he's like the heart and soul, the heartbeat of that team in the last few years. And yet they're better now, right? You, You, you lose a Kellen Acosta who is a homegrown guy who, who again is someone that you always associate with FC Dallas and, and they don't miss a beat, you know? So he, it's it's different formations, it's different players, uh, but he is just getting the the most out of out of whoever steps on the field. So that to me makes them a dangerous team. But I also saw them in person have two of their worst losses of the year at NYCFC, and I know it's a small field, and and everyone can can crap on that, but uh, they lose there, and and they they're they're played off the park at, at Red Bull. So um, it, it's a little bit of that that you know I think they could work their way through the West but now you're gonna have to probably play Atlanta Red Bulls Columbus NYCFC and, and the cup and I, and I don't really see I mean they play Columbus this weekend so that'll be a good another one of those marquee matchups but I don't know I don't know if 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 they haven't fared well uh, against those teams so I think that's a little bit uh against them but certainly the rest of the year in the west uh i've been very impressed i have them definitely as a team that that can make a cup run
2: okay dylan butler thank you so much for taking the time tonight i I really appreciate it anytime bud all right is there anything else we can plug i mean go to mlssoccer.com it's the best professional sports site on the internet um is there anything coming out this week we're recording this on a wednesday do you have anything that you need to plug or that we all need to read over the next couple days
3: uh, well, I mean, you could also check out my work on prosoccerusa.com. Yep. I, I cover the Red Bulls um, for that website. Uh, cover NYCFC and, and the league on a whole for MLS soccer. Um, but uh, listen, I, I couldn't have asked for. I, I might have to give you an agent fee for for the for the plugs that you gave me. So I, I think I think those plugs uh, certainly work out well for me. And uh, just uh, you know, I would just urge the fans to continue to watch, continue to 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 enjoy the content and uh you know the more that grows certainly the better it is for for guys like me and 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 for the league in general
2: well this is free uh follow him on twitter <laughs> at dylan underscore butler and uh, that's your last plug for the night
3: i appreciate it <laughs> all right well we'll have to
2: talk again very soon man i really appreciate it and uh good luck with the stretch run thanks Chase. We're back on the Jason Mosk podcast, returning after a couple weeks away. John, we were in this great every other week routine, and we slipped out for a couple weeks, and the people weren't happy. But thankfully, we were able to make it work today. John Taylor of Sports Illustrated is back on the podcast. And uh, John, can you believe the MLB regular season is still not over?
0: Wait, were people actually like not happy about that?
2: No, I have no idea. I just feel like okay. it's... It, I feel like we just... We're ready. Now that the A's have broken free from the Mariners, and it's just, it feels like, I mean, the Braves are six and a half games up on the Phillies, and Gabe Kapler's, like, playing 20 different relievers, and we're all just like, oh my god, let's get there. We're ready for the postseason.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it feels like, you know, it's crazy. There are only two or three or however many weeks that is left in the season. But for a lot of teams, it certainly does feel like it's just kind of a matter of just kind of snapping stuff into place. I know the whole National League West and National League Wildcard and to some degree the National League Central is still pretty unsettled. And hey, the A's are actually making the AL West and Wildcard a little interesting. Um, but yeah, it definitely does have that feel kind of now of like, all right, let's 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 get going. You know, we already have you know, one team's clinched in the Red Sox. Uh, the A's are going to clinch the division, the AL Central very soon. So yeah, it's, it, it's crazy that we're, we're already at the end.
2: Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a cool time because as you wrote about for sports September 1st call-ups, it's a thing. And, uh, it's an exciting time if your na- last name does not, uh, end with Alonzo.
0: Who <laughs> are Peter Alonzo? It's, <laughs> it's not his goddamn fault, but this is what's happened. But uh yeah i mean the cool thing for about september i mean i'm this is the thing like the whole september expansion roster expansion thing good and bad good in that you know a lot of these guys are getting major league a lot of guys getting major league you know playing time major league service time major league paychecks you know some guys making their major league debuts that's that's all very cool but you know the way now that we have all these teams and now have like 16 men bullpens and like you know, so just managers like, I mean, you know, Mike Sosha and Joe Madden have long been the, the worst at this, but now Gabe Kapler's joining their uh, hideous ranks. Um, you know, just using every player at their disposal, which is just very frustrating. I mean, Gabe Kapler yesterday or Wednesday, um, not on, today's Wednesday, Tuesday, on Tuesday, I've completely lost track of the days. Um, Same the Nats, It's fine. Philly's Nets had a doubleheader where Gabe Kapler had 20 players active, I think, for one of those games. or pit yes. 20, 20, Or whatever
2: it was. It was 20 pitchers.
0: 20 pitchers, and then in game two yeah. of the doubleheader, he used every last player on his bench, which is mm-hmm. impossible to think about in the September game. So it's great that these guys are up, but it does get to be this point of like, okay, and I, I know it's been you know said before a million times in the whole, how do you fix it? It's like, well, you know, my thing is like you just adopt... Um, the NHL healthy scratch situation, where just you can just you just declare a roster ahead of time, and whoever's not on that roster is just they can be there. They're there at the game. They're still, you know, accruing service time. They still get to be part of a team. They just don't play that day, because uh, mm-hmm. it is kind of ridiculous that you have like a 15-man bullpen in September. Mostly because you know you play the first five months of the season under regular rules, and all of a sudden things just go haywire in September. It's just, it makes sense
2: yeah um it's it's kind of sucks just because um you're not going to leave this john but uh major league baseball fans uh they want to see good young players and uh, they don't want to see 20 different relievers go in like that's not the conversation any of us want to have and i don't think it's the yeah, conversation ron manfred wants to have yeah this is just it's not a good look at all that today's news cycle was dominated by um peter uh, peter Alonso, um Alonso on the mets and just like the mets openly just like apparently just it being like a business decision and not a player decision which is like oh that is the good stuff is when you're just <laughs> it's just now clear it's just out there that like oh right the reason that the the best prospect and on this awful year because a lot of these teams um a lot of these fan bases are fans of teams that have had uh, lackluster seasons and this is like their moment of truth basically to like get a little glimmer of hope of like oh these could be the next superstars and we might be back sooner than later and it, it inspires hope Sep- september 1st call-ups i think were intended to inspire hope for fans of bad teams and uh the fact that this is now like this awkward business arbitration battle um it uh, it's not good in my opinion not very good
0: yeah. And, and that's kind of the, the, the sad thing about summer calls is like, you know, all these guys getting called up and yet not one of them is black Guerrero jr. Or Eloy Jimenez. Um, certainly Alonzo, uh, not the same pedigree as those guys, but that's been very, a very big disappointment from Mets fans. Uh, the twins just openly gaming Byron Buxton's service time by leaving him down in September. And it's just, it is, you know, it's something that, you know, it, it's just gross to see. Cause it's like, these guys, you know, especially, you know, Guerrero and, and has crushed the minors all year long, they deserve to be in the majors. I mean, they should have been in the majors months ago. Guerrero should have been up in like June. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just sad to see that, that, I mean, this, this, this is the system. This is the system in which they are left down for financial reasons is the one that exists. You know, no MLB team is going to behave ethically. And I guess that's the worst part of it is that like, you know, it's all business first for them. And understandably so, but it really, it really just does leave a bad taste in my mouth. And it's like, well, how can we be okay with that? How can we, as fans and media and everyone else, be okay with the system where you're just going to kind of behave unethically like that and just keep a guy down for no reason other than to save money? You know, there's there's no argument you can make that these teams or these players are better off with these guys still down in the minors in September or not even in the minors anymore. They're not even playing. You know, the season's over for all these guys. Um, yeah. It, it's just purely about the money at this point. And that's really gross to see. And, you know, it's, and you're right. Like, I'm sure this is, you know, that's not what Rob Manfred wants September to be about. And to be entirely, it doesn't really seem like, you know, it's been even that huge a wave of conversation. But it is something where it's just, it's just a bad look for the league as a whole to have these exciting young talents, you know, have exciting young talents left down in the minors for service time reasons. And to have teams basically openly admit—not openly admit, sorry—but act, you know, purely in financial interest and not in, you know, in in a competitive interest. And I understand that for some of these teams, you know, they're 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 bad. You know, they're not Jimenez or, or Guerrero coming up with them, wasn't going to do anything to change the seasons. I don't think the Blue Jays or White Sox, but the fans still deserve better.
2: Exactly. Than having to
0: watch worse players. Solely so that the owners of the White Sox and Blue Jays can save a few million dollars. I mean, I thought
2: yeah, but I think that you and I, along with every baseball fan, um, they watch for the business decisions. And there's nothing. So if we had to rank like dingers, um, nine inning shutouts, um, saving money, and winning arbitration cases for your MLB team, I think the latter is the. Priority number one for most fans, for
0: right? sure, that, for sure, the yeah. <laughs> most, for sure, the most important thing to me as a fan is whether or not my team has control of a good young talented player in 2023, as opposed to having that control expire in 2022. Mm-hmm. That to me is the single most important thing my team can do. Which of course, also, the, the funny is like there, there are the fans out there who like you know, I maybe mean, I mean, Twitter is obviously a bubble, but. You know, there are right. the fans on Twitter who are always like, oh, but this is so important. Like, That's how you mm-hmm. that's how you build a good team. This is just smart baseball. And it's like, "What? Do, how do you know what the financial landscape, not just of baseball, but of the country, is going to look like in 2023? We're going to have a new CBA by then. Like, yeah. How do we even know that this is even still going to be a thing that matters? It probably is because I can't see any way in which the PA or the players can convince the owners to... Uh, redo the, the service time system. But so many different things. Like, imagine basically admitting that, you know, your decisions for 28, that you're, you're it, it matters less your performance on the field now than it theoretically will six years down the road. Yeah. That's just crazy to me. It's crazy to me that fans accept that. But also Instead just, of like, demanding thinking about, their- like, can you
2: imagine the equivalent of, like, keeping LeBron James when he was drafted by the Cavs? in the G League of like Cincinnati, like the Cincinnati whatever name, in the G League or something for an extra six months and didn't call him up for like a terrible like 1963 season just because uh, Dan Gilbert wanted an extra year of team control of LeBron James' local superstar. Like, can you imagine? Nobody would stand for that, but it's just weird that it's become this accepted gross part of the game and it's like... Are we gonna do this every year now? Is this the fall for baseball where we're yeah like Why are we okay with this? This is insane, and no one would ever posit like in the future that this is something that anyone should do. Like, how is this a good? Like, like you said, where it's like some fans on Twitter are like, "Oh, it's just smart baseball," and it's like, yeah, but it's stupid at the same time. It's also just terrible, and it doesn't it just kind of like drive you nuts. And it's just like I think it's. they've been kind of conned in this idea that they're all GMs and this is like just because they're an analytical friendly guy that means they're making shrewd smart business moves and they're good for the team long term and any move that they make is good for the team long term and the more you kick the tire down the road the better off everything is and all that kind of stuff I do and I don't want this to seem like I'm anti-analytics and all that kind of stuff because I'm not it's just more of like it does seem like the crowd that's more okay with this is the one that seems to be like, you know what? Like, I would rather uh, have one more year of Ronald Acuna in 2024 than um, it's like, what What are you talking about? Like, you want him now. Like, the idea, like the, but you're missing the point, which is this is an insane rule that is just screwing over the player, but it's also just screwing over the fans. The only person it makes sense for is really the owners because they're saving money, and it's like the, especially these bigger market teams that are making money anyway especially from the tv deals and all this other stuff they can it, it's not just like one of those just oh if we don't have him for that extra year they're leaving for nothing a lot of these guys stay on anyway and you can offer them the contract and you can bring them on you can renegotiate everything else where they don't get the free agency and you don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff if, because if they're really good you can lock them in long term earlier on like there's just so many different variables but the idea that it's good for the sport to just have Lagro jr and all these guys just sit for an extra amount of time. And just the charade of Ronald Acuna to start this year was insane. it's just, it's, it's very peculiar how people react. And I think about Brian Curtis, who is a great uh, writer at the ringer friend of the pod. He tweets out those uh, tiger woods. um, Have you seen this where like fans are more interested now, at least some on Twitter with the ratings and the money that NBC execs are raking in for tiger being good rather than just watching him play. It's like fans are more interested in like, oh, ratings are through the roof. I bet you NBC executives are swimming in cash. And it's like, what? Why do people care about this stuff? Why do you care about these uber rich people and how much money they're making from this guy helping rings? I think it's the same kind of idea. Am I crazy?
0: No, and it's 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 interesting you mentioned the whole like every fan thinks of themselves as a GM now. I mean, we we as fans have been. So sold on this idea over the last like 15 years as as sabermetrics has become a bigger and bigger thing that like um you know that this is this is the smart way to do it and it is like you know or at least the sabermetric most of the sabermetric stuff is the at least the smarter way to do it but it really did kind of ignore the fact that a lot of that stuff and a lot of the quantification has just turned out to be wildly anti-labor uh and of course that a lot of it was going to be used to anti-labor ends you know that the smart way of doing things wasn't spending millions and millions of dollars on like free agents, for example, but you know, investing, like tearing down your team, picking up assets, cheap, young, controllable assets, getting good draft picks and building a roster with as many young, cheap players as you can. You know, that makes sense, but it's also really messed up. And, but that's the idea that's been sold to us. And that's the thing, like, you know, and as part of that media, although a little late to it, like, baseball media in particular kind of needs to take a hard look at itself and the way that it kind of propagated this idea and made that whole, you know, the, you know, process mattered more necessary. I mean, not mattered more, but process mattered, you know, and process does matter, but it's, be, it's gotten mm-hmm. to this point where the process seems to be the only thing that matters where right. like, you know, where it's okay for your team to be just awful for three or four, or however many years, as long as you're doing the smart thing and just, you know, gobbling or just uh, accumulating young usable assets. It, to me it's part of why the whole like weird Sam Hinkie Sixers cult has always struck me as so off-putting because it was basically a bunch of dudes cheering the team intentionally getting worse in order to be better down the road, which is fine like they are better now, but it's like it shouldn't ha- it shouldn't have to be some kind of like or scenario you do to be yeah. terrible nor should you have to accept that you are terrible mm-hmm. you should just be good all of these teams can afford being better you know? and try uh,
2: like there's this thing where it's like they sh- you should be like directing your um, animosity towards the powers that be because they control this where it's like I mean Zach Lowe talked about that with the hinky stuff where it's like he's doing he's playing within the rules and all these GMs are playing within the rules and it's quote unquote smart but it's also like hey these rules are bad and we should work to change them because they are anti-labor and they are dissent- like <laughs> they are making it so that winning now is not something that should be a priority. And when a third of the team, just looking at the American league this year in baseball, it's like, they've all adopted that approach of like you know um it's just there's four good teams we're not going to be the astros so let's not do anything it's like well no that's not how it should be because you still have a lot of people paying a lot of money especially season ticket holders people watching at home all every night and just the idea that like they should all be okay because they should all be armchair gms and that like hey it's cool that my team's gonna suck for seven years because my gm is playing the long game and the process is telling us that look we have to be bad right now we can't spend money on free agents and everything else and you're kind of screwing over the veteran free agents who um this past winter um were expecting at least modest paid paydays and stuff like that but weren't given them because so many teams were just like "eh, we'd rather just um invest in just uh, players who weren't as good obviously but like we're significantly cheaper and everything else and we'll we'll take that we'll we'll take uh, the extra money we'll pocket that And the veterans can just uh, figure it out on their own. And just kind of, I don't like the idea of leaving these guys who've been in the league for a long time and been really productive players for a long time, just getting left out in the cold once it's time to really help them out and pay them for um, their service time. And it's just, all of it just feels weird to me and just the variance and the way people approach it. But I do think it all stems to this idea that if you have a quote unquote smart team or your team, hire someone that... Uh, fits that mold then they'll accept anything
0: yeah it, it's just it is just kind of ugly all the way around that we have a system where we're basically like teams are getting rewarded for suppressing service time for for denying players an opportunity and that there are fans who are like yep this is all good this is the smart this is how it should be done this is all very mm-hmm. smart it's like it's just like where where is where are the ethics on like don't you want the to be good don't you want to see a winning product all the time? That, that to me, is, is the hardest part to understand, that there are fans. Are, no, it's cool. I'm fine with my team being an open garbage fire for three to four years with no guarantee of success. Right. You know. It's
2: not like everybody can win. That's the other thing. It's like, you, if, especially when other teams are following suit and all these other teams are starting to follow the same model— um, the homogenization is going to affect that, where it's, like, it's not how it works. It's not The the end goal is not going to be every team wins over a 30-year span. That's not how this is going to work. Like, just because your no, team not, is doing the smart thing, or, yeah.
0: And not to mention that, like, a lot of teams aren't necessarily even good at this. Like, look at the Reds. Yeah. They've been stuck in an endless rebuild for five years. 100%. Like, granted, there, there are teams that are, like, doing it smartly or more, but, like, there's, there's the no White Sox nailed effort. the Chris
2: Sale trade, and it looks like that may not even work out as much as no. You know, and, that's, and that's it the other
0: thing. Like even even when the process is good, and you can argue that you know the process for the Chris Sale trade was very good. They got the number one prospect in baseball. They got a very good pitching prospect. They got two other very good prospects attached to it. You know, Mankata is very much an unfinished product who is still you know still struggling at the major league level. And Michael Kopek is just done for all of the next year. He blew out his elbow in, a, in an injury that, even though most people come back for it, is usually career altering. Like, th- there is no guarantee that this stuff works because there's a lot of variants you can't control. And so, that's me as the crazy part is like, you're better off trying every year because, well, you might as well try. That's, I just, I just uh, ah, ah, sometimes I just feel like I'm crazy because it feels like the idea of you might try has taken on a crazy veneer in baseball. Yeah. It's like, no, try, just try. Don't just be bad. Try. Mm-hmm. And I wish, and it doesn't seem like Rob Manford really cares, but I really wish that were part of the message coming from the MLB league offices. Try. Instead, it just seems like the league is on the whole pretty okay with teams just blatantly not giving a crap.
2: And this speaks to the, and this could put a bow on this point of the conversation is that like this speaks to these teams like the Mets who are clearly not trying at this point because if they were they would bring up Alonzo because guess what he's better than what they have at the major league level um the Blue Jays uh Black Guerrero Jr is obviously better than what they have at the major league level and these teams are saying no 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 we would rather continue losing so um
0: well, the, the, sure the Mets the, are, yeah. Mets, aren't, Mets aren't trying because their owners are skates. they no matter what the system would be they would still be that way because the Wilpons are cheap and bad like they are they are a, a problem and a mess completely unto themselves at this point. Yeah, and Another area where Manfred has kind of fallen down, but it's not so much fallen down as Bud Selig fell down and Rob Manfred hasn't bothered getting up. Like That the league has tolerated the Wilpons as the owners of the Mets despite years now of evidence that they are not operating in good faith with that team.
2: Do you think if Reinstorf and the Wilpons join forces to own their own MLB team they would ever spend if they combine their money or do you think they'd still be as shrewd and as bad as they've been
0: probably the last I mean okay. you, when you combine the cheapness of the Willpons with the union busting anti-labor fervor of Jerry Reinsdorf mm-hmm. ooh, that is a product That is a product right. right there
2: let's move them to Las Vegas for one of the expansion teams and uh, they can run Vegas
0: that sounds good to me just put them, hey yeah. put them in Portland that's I, no, I don't want to Portland. Know in Portland. That's, that's, I like
2: Portland City. I don't I don't want that to happen. I feel like they belong I, I, in Vegas. And Sheldon Anderson can be the owner.
0: I, no, or I, I guess a Portland, co-owner.
2: Minority owner.
0: I've never been to Portland, but I, I struggle to understand. And this is something I, I'd like to dig deeper into. We don't have to get into it. But like I, I struggle to understand how it is that Portland is big enough to support an ML team when they lost a AAA team you know in the past mm-hmm. i again not not something we have to get into but just something I'm, i've been no. curious about where it's like how is portland an ML, a realistic mlb expansion like opportunity or option here
3: yeah
2: my pick is still just like montreal and vegas would be my two if i if i had any yeah,
0: two right bring it back to montreal
2: yeah montreal first and then vegas i just so i uh before we started recording i was talking to an uh Dylan of uh, NLSsoccer.com soccer dot com and we I didn't realize there was this uh USL team called the Las Vegas Lights that has their own DJ and uh they drop money from a helicopter, like real money, during the games. And Yeah, uh,
0: we, I saw I saw the bit about the money dropping.
2: Yeah, I did not know this was a thing, so I am all in on more um <laughs> more Las Vegas pro sports teams because that is yeah, uh,
0: that it, is insane. It, between that and the Golden Knights like very Vegas like pregame Whole like theater show thing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which really, if if you if you know, I I, I like that there you that people who, like saw what was going on with with the gold knights. were like, wow, that's crazy! It's like, man, have you never been to Vegas? That's what they do outside of like half the casinos. They do silly little shows like that. Which what's yeah. the place out that, that does or that did a while ago that pirate show?
2: Um, mm, I don't know. Not, may, My to same, Vegas but... knowledge is the Hangover. Casino, and the Godfather movies.
0: Yeah, that is, an, all three are an accurate representation of Las Vegas.
2: Okay, cool. Then I'm actually an expert on Vegas. So what was your original question?
0: I don't even remember anymore.
2: Okay. Well, do you want to talk about the Rockies right now? Because it is, sure. uh, Rocktober.
0: It's oh, on the way.
2: We're almost here.
0: Uh, I can hear Dan Cook yelling in my head already.
3: <laughs> remember
0: <laughs> they, when they tried they, to play that? Wait, what? They tried to trademark Rocktober, the Rockies.
2: And they couldn't because Dane Cook has it trademarked? Is that what you're... Wait,
0: no, is I, that, is that I think... Thing? No, no, no. I think that they just couldn't trademark it because it is... Oh, no, maybe it is trademarked. I think actually they did. They did actually trademark it. That's very funny. Okay. Um, yeah, good for good for the Rockies. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, Dane Cook... Because yeah, that, was, that was the whole commercial with him. When they were in the and play- I want to say it was seven...
2: Yeah, the Clinton
0: base. Uh, yeah, the 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 miracle. Todd Helton. Yeah, there it is. I just I just looked it up online. The the Dane Cook just yelling about baseball.
2: I'm not or... watching that, John. So if you send it to me, yeah, I'm sir. still not going to open it.
0: I'm going to send you a copy, a link to that to the YouTube video, like once a day. Please, and don't. it's going to be a, It's going to be a random hours too, so you, you don't ever see it coming.
1: <sighs>
2: Okay. Well I will find a way. I'm gonna think about something I can retaliate with because I don't know of anything off the top of my head right now. Um maybe like I'll send you videos of Glenn Jacobs, aka Kane giving a mayoral speech from the Libertarian Party in Knoxville, Tennessee.
0: Was the, were there pyro? was there pyro involved?
2: I don't know. I, I wish. Um I don't know. I just imagine it's just funny. Uh, um, <laughs> exactly. Um the Rockies, though, the Dodgers are right there. Um, I don't know if you're with Nick Stelini and I on the we're glad that the Arizona Diamondbacks offense is falling apart down the stretch camp because uh, they did not re-sign J.D. Martinez because they were being cheap and they could have signed a top three AL MVP guy um, who they traded for anyway last year and chose not to keep him around. But
0: um, it, it, is, it is really weird that they didn't re-sign him. I guess, to be fair, this is the only way in which I'll be fair about this, Shady Martinez is a horrible defensive outfielder. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. So but, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent surprised that a national league team looked at that and was like, Nope, we're not gonna do that for a full season. But boy, that Diamondbacks lineup really could so could the Rockies have for that matter. So could like Well the Rockies you know,
2: could all- use everybody. I'm still upset about them not getting Bryce Harper. That's where he should have finished. Like even if it's a rental like, Bryce Harper down the stretch and just throwing him in the NL uh, playoff race with the Rockies would just be pure joy from the every baseball
0: I, fan. The <laughs> one I don't understand for the Rockies is why they didn't pluck Daniel Murphy off waivers and put him at mm. first base. Like, it's it just baffling to me. You look at the Rockies lineup, and aside from Arenado and DJ LeMayhew and, um, and Charlie Blackman and Trevor Story, Okay, granted, that's a good chunk of the lineup. Uh, but, I mean, lemayhew eh, not even really so much. He's been hurt a fair amount. So really more story in Arenado and Blackness. The rest of that lineup is trash. Trash all the way up and down. You know? Gerardo Parra, trash. Ian Desmond, trash. Chris Iannetta, trash. Carlos Gonzalez, cool, but trash. <laughs> like
2: Brennan Rogers might come up, though. Maybe he can help.
0: I mean, he's really good, but, like, and then you have a bench with like David Dahl and like Brian McMahon, who should be getting more opportunities Dude, David are, Dahl uh, was batting
2: cleanup the other night for them.
0: Cuz he's a really good hitter. It's odd to yeah. me it is odd to me that Dahl does not start Is not a full-time starter ahead of either Para or Ian Desmond or somebody cuz man those guys are good. Ian Desmond's really bad. Like Toronto Par is really bad. Like those guys shouldn't be playing all the time, and yet they are playing all the time. Do you that think the, this me.
2: team? Yeah. Do you think this is a team that uh, should have invested less in the bullpen and more at upgrading at first base this winter?
0: The thing is, and and I know that there are a few other people who were with. Their, I mean, Mike Petriele is the one who's been harping, been harping on this, like in the last November. So I got to give the credit to him, but. Colorado's offense was quietly terrible last year, and they did nothing to address it. And when you look, and when I, you know, and I, I remember when I did my, pre, like, some preseason previous, I was like, man, Colorado really should have gone out and gotten some help offensively. Like, you know, they don't have a full lineup. You know, instead, they went, they spent millions and millions of dollars on bullpen. And as it turns out, the guys they picked up were all bad. Um, not, nothing, by the way, tells you about how useless. Or not useless, but how overvalued a saves a stat saves are than the fact that Wade Davis has 39 of them despite Nier Rainier near five. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, him, Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, like those guys are terrible. You yeah. know, they've been terrible. The only good reliever in that bullpen right now is Adam Otavino. And yep. I guess yep. Sion, Sion Huano has been pretty good. Um, but like there there's just which is funny, to me, like when you're looking at what the Rock- the Rockies are first place. You look at that roster, and it's really hard to understand how. Like, but that's what makes the
2: Rockies so fun. is we never. It feels like we never understand how they're doing this.
0: They they are good players on this team, certainly. Arenado and Blackman, and weirdly enough, Trevor's story is now good. Um, he's not just... I mean, he still strikes out all the fucking time. But, like, you know, Kyle Freeland is having an amazing season. John Gray has looked much better since coming back from AAA. German Marquez, weirdly good, you know, out of vino in his slider of death. But like this team as a whole, I mean, I, I, before we, before we did this, I was just, you know, quickly looking at the Rocky stats and thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to be able to find something here that helps, you know, they're they're better. And like, you look at their second half numbers, there's just not a whole lot to explain anything. Like they're middle of the pack offensively they're middle of the pack pitching wise. The only thing I can see as to why the Rockies are suddenly like in first place is that they have like an eleven and three record or something close to it in one run game since the All Star. They've just been really lucky. Not I actually think I know good. what the
2: answer is. Bud Black. not No. Is that, really, is
0: that really where we're going with this?
2: manager of the year in the NL. I don't know, I've always loved Bud Black, and I thought he should have been the next Braves manager over Snicker, but um,
0: yeah. I, uh, yeah I mean, look, Freeland and Marquez have been very good in the second half. Mm-hmm. But, like The, the rota- three-fifths of the rotation has been good. And like, like half the bullpen maybe has been good. And then you look at like what they're doing off, like what individual players are doing offensively, and like um story's been great david Dahl's hit well arenado been-, been good but then the rest of that lineup isn't really hitting so i i don't i i am fully willing to admit here i do not get it i do not remotely understand how or why the rockies are good in the second half i probably would you say
2: them. trevor is having a storybook season
0: I'm going to ignore that mostly because <laughs> they, I have an LB net, network on in the background right now, and actually they're showing the f- ceremonial first pitch from the Rockies game, which is uh-huh. being thrown out by a Queen Elizabeth impersonator. Oh: Okay, reasons I, I do not begin to understand. Yeah., very okay. strange. But anyway, is very um, strange.:
2: Why does the dinosaur not
0: throw out the first pitch every game? He should he should throw out an egg. Oh, not only was it thrown out by a Queen Elizabeth impersonator, but she skydived onto the field <laughs> in full uniform. Like, that's really weird. I don't understand any of this. But don't let point, Queen
2: Elizabeth skydiving from the rafters in Colorado. Uh, don't let it distract you from the fact that uh, Peter Alonzo <laughs> is not getting called up by the New York Mets for business decisions. Maybe that's what it is. Oh, Bob it, Manfred trying to get uh, fans to forget.
0: I thought you were gonna say the bees are dying globally at an alarming rate. <laughs> that too. They really are. But uh, mm, no, I, bees? the point of all this being your Trevor Story Punt is terrible. We we use them all we use them all up during his rookie season. They're all gone. Okay. All of them.
2: Terrible. Yeah. Would you say uh, DJ Lemayhu's uh, injury riddled season has made it a Le Pew?
0: I'm just—I'm like two seconds away from hanging <laughs> off. I swear to God, <laughs> it's my
2: last one. I apologize. Um, it's late, man. I gotta get these in. I gotta get the laughs in. Um, you're
0: not—you're not actually sorry. That's the best part.
2: No, no, and I have a lot more that uh, now that I know that it's—it's uh, it's not gonna—they're never gonna work for you. I'm just gonna find ways to sneak them in, and then you're gonna get mad because, like, forty-five seconds later, you're like, "Wait a second, what did he just say?" Gonna- you were just you.
0: You have guaranteed yourself Dame Cook YouTube videos.
2: Ah, uh, okay. did you know Matt Holiday is on this roster? By the way,
0: he's it's crazy. Not years old. To, not only is he on this roster, but he's hit really well. Like he's been an awesome. Pitch hitter, so. Which I will say, if the Rockies do win the West or make the playoffs, you know, in whichever form, um, it would be cool to see Matt Holiday doing cool stuff uh, because his entire play the entire Matt Holiday. Like postseason memory is basically him getting like knocked in the junk by that fly ball against the Dodgers way back when mm-hmm. uh, when he was on the Cardinals. So yeah, like that that is that is my standout Matt Holliday postseason memory, which I guess isn't fair because that dude has played in seventy three postseason games, including winning the World Series with the Rocky or with the with the with the Cardinals in eleven. And he was really good in the twenty eleven NLCS. So and the two thousand seven NLCS. He was a monster in that one. Um, so that's probably not entirely fair. But okay. still got rocked um, really hard in the nuts.
2: Are we sure Jason Wirth would not be better than Parr in left field right now?
0: I feel like they're like mannequins might be better than Gerardo Parr right now. I, I just go. really don't get the whole like why Colorado did not improve anything involving their lineup or offense at all.
2: Can we hope that it's just them preparing to make the monster offer for Bryce Harper this summer or this winter?
0: Uh, I really hope so. Bryce Harper in Colorado would be the coolest damn thing. It's not gonna happen.
2: It's not, it but, but it, really... it
0: should. The one As I argue is Colorado you, from Vegas. Isn't he from Vegas? He is from Vegas. The one the one I offer the one I argued for in the off season was that the Rockies should have traded for Stanton.
2: Oh yeah. That would have been great too.
0: That would have been great, but it did not. All happen.
2: right. It's only two states over, man. It's eleven hour drive from Vegas to uh Denver.
0: <laughs> well there you go.
2: Do it, Bryce Harper. Not a far drive. You would get paid all of the money. You would crank out all of the Hummers. You would get a couple more NL MVPs because him and Corrs, his numbers would just be bonkers, and we uh,
0: we absolutely should start a Kickstarter for getting Bryce Harper on the Rockies.
2: I'm all about it. All right, we'll we'll figure it out because um, we'll, it needs we'll to happen. We'll consult Nick as well because he's another big proponent of this, and uh, we'll we'll figure this out because it needs to happen, and uh, baseball needs this. Rob Manfred, make it happen. Intervene. Do your uh, David Stern and uh, get uh, Bryce Harper on the Rockies help make Colorado great again. Um, can we pour one out for the Philadelphia Phillies' 2018 season?
0: They've been spilling it all over themselves uh, the last since pretty much the All Star break. So sure, they boy they really 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 fell apart. Huh? Yep. That just went to, that went to hell in a hurry.
2: But um, speaking of Bryce Harper. This is the favorite team for him, and if they get Bryce Harper this winter, oh, God. This team, this outfield, just, I I mean, they've obviously fallen apart, but they still have Aaron Nola. Dubal Herrera is still coming back. They still can figure out the left side. They can get Manny Machado this winter. They can get, they're going to be in play for a lot of really good players, and they're going to get some big-time free agent, and I think Gabe Kaplan will figure this out. Yeah, they're just, they're not going anywhere, but the way they've fallen apart is, at least a little concerning, I guess, if you're uh, the Phillies brass.
0: It's concerning because you're not, like this whole second half has been just that whole lineup struggling really badly, and you're not really seeing, like, I think the, the biggest problem is that, you know, the the hope of this Philly season, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how many people really expected contention. I thought they'd be a black, black or, or black, a dark horse contender, um, that maybe could have made a little noise and and ended up falling short, which is what it's going to end up being. It just kind of happened a little differently. But what you re- I think if you're a Phillies fan or at least a pundit, what you really wanted to see was those young players taking a step forward. You wanted to see J P Crawford and Scott Kingery and um, you know Nick Williams and Aaron Altair do something basically. You wanted to see them justify. Not just by the hype necessarily, but show that they're going to be building blocks of the future. And none of them have done. Like, Crawford's been a disaster. Kangari has been a disaster. Altair was a disaster. Like, Nick Williams has been fine. Michael Franco's been okay. Her Oduber has fallen apart since like June, I want to say. It just There's a lot of. Like, if you're like if you're a Phillies fan, you have to be worried that a whole lot of this team just did not, just didn't seem to like progress or improve. You know, aside from Reese Hoskins, no one's hitting. Aside from yeah. Aaron Nola, the pitching is not like a, a young pitching. I'm leaving Arietta out of this. Aside from Aaron Nola, the young pitching has been bad. You know, the bullpen has been pretty bad too. Like there's there's just not a whole lot from a player development standpoint, I don't feel like you can hang your hat on. I, granted, Nola turning into a, one of the, you know, five best pitchers in the National League is really something. And Hoskins kind of establishing himself as a very good middle-of-the-order bat is good. But everything else just feels like, well, yeah. Like it's, but do like you you're think all into, this changes
2: if they get Machado or Harper this winter?
0: Sure, I mean, and that would be huge for them to get one of those true middle-of-the-order bats. But the problem, I think, if you're the Phillies, is you're going into this offseason not really a whole lot more sure about what this team – like. I mean, all these guys will be back next year, certainly, I think, unless, unless some of them get traded for maybe an a, a older bat or, or some pitching help. But, like, was this season really instructive – not I mean, instructive. Was this season really a positive for any of these guys? Not really any of them took any steps forward. So if you're yeah. the Phillies, you're going to get to 2019 kind of the same way you went into 2018, where you have kind of all these open question marks around the team. You know, can one of Nick Williams or Aaron Alter become the full-time right fielder or something they don't get Harper? Is Herrera a viable, like, full-time center fielder? I think he is purely based on defense. Like, you know, more importantly, the left side of the infield is a mess. Yeah. You know, the Phillies are almost now in that position where it's like, they don't think they have to sign Machado. But the way Franco and Crawford and Kingery have played, it's like, well, what's the future here? I think that's, the, that's what the fill is. You're looking at them and you're like, all these guys are supposed to be part of the future, but they played like crap this season. So what's, what is it going to be going forward, you know?
2: And now we know the Mets are going to be the Mets and they're fading out and the World Series days are long gone. Um, we know the Marlins still have multiple years of just awfulness ahead of them. And we know that the nationals are probably heading towards some sort of rebuild. So it's like, they know the pressure's on now.
0: Like with the nationals too, it's like, yes, if they lose Harper, that's bad. Obviously obvious point is obvious, but they have Soto, they have Victor Robles. They still have a good chunk of that team. That's not going anywhere. And still pretty good. um, I don't know how much faith you can have in them to build a good team going forward, given the disaster that this year was, but you know, there's still a lot of good pieces there. And I think certainly, and I know you're going to get to it, that the Phillies biggest problem right now is that the Braves also got there ahead of schedule and the Braves have a legit superstar piece in Ronald Acuna. Like he already looks like a franchise player for them. And the Phillies don't have that.
2: I mean, they're doing that with Ozzy Albies falling off a cliff.
0: I should say on the offensive side, they have that Enola as a pitcher. But right. Hoskins is as close as they are right now to like a franchise hitter, and he's clearly like a tier below Ronald Acuna right now. So, yeah, and then you look at the like, look at all the young pitching the Braves have Fulton Navitz and Newcomb. And uh, the pitching is Mike where things Garota. get dicey.
2: I don't know. It, there's still like, so many. There's no Aaron Nola on this staff, nowhere even he- close.
0: There isn't, but at the same time, they have a lot of good young arms anyway. Whereas at you know, the Phillies, you're like, you know, Nick Pavetta and Zach Eflin and Vinny Velasquez are fine, but they don't really seem to have a lot. I mean, Velasquez has a lot of upside, but the rest of those guys are just like, what is really there, you know? I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm not being fair to those guys, but I definitely think if you were to look at the two teams right now as currently constructed, you know, I give Graves you know, by every by every measure. I would rather have the Braves. And that doesn't even get into before you get the fact that like the Phillies defensively are terrible. They are right. terrible defensively. You know? So that that definitely goes into it as well. Give me the Braves. I will take the Braves.
2: Here's my concern with the Braves Phillies thing, because I do think it's gonna be these two battling it out for the NLE's for the next two to three years. I think their window is opening up for the both of them and now the pressure is on. The thing that I think will be in the Phillies' favor is the fact that they're gonna spend more and they're gonna they've proven they will open up the checkbook when they're close to contention. They are not sure, afraid and- to trade prospects for like these guys that haven't really hit for them, they might be able to turn them into guys that can't like veterans who can help them right now. Like we we know that they will pull the that kind of deal. We know that's what they're comfortable doing if, they think that they can win a World Series. So, like, they might just expedite their process because they're like, this team-building thing or our development has not gone the way we wanted to, so we're gonna, going to make sure that we can compete with the Braves and win a title over the next two to three years because the NL is opening up anyway because the Cubs have had a rocky year. The Dodgers um, are great, but, I mean, obviously, injuries happen and things can affect all kinds of stuff. So, the Braves are not going to spend money. Like, that is not going yeah, to happen.
0: Yeah, I should... You know, you you are right on that because Liberty Media is a cheapskate organization that right. will not spend money. Whereas the Phillies have like zero like major payroll commitments going forward. So exactly that's that, and that is, that's that my is, thing is
2: like they're ahead of schedule and they have all the money in the world to go get a Bryce Harper, Machado. The Braves cannot afford any of those guys, nor will they be in the market for them. Who they're going to be in the market for is more Lucas Dudas, Adam Duvall's, those kind of guys and bargain bin starting pitchers. They are banking on these young guys. Like all these young guys have hit for the most part, but I mean their bull I mean the bullpen is obviously a disaster for them as well right now. Um that's probably where their money is gonna go over the next couple years is fortifying that bullpen on a year to year basis. But they have to bet on the young pitchers hitting, they have to bet on Ozzie Albi's figuring things out, the plate, they have to bet on Freddie Freeman staying healthy, they have to bet on uh, Tyler Flowers staying um staying the course they have to bet on Yohan Camargo being the real deal now at third base they have to bet on just guy after guy like I mean they're gonna have a hole to fill with Nick Marquecas after this year because he's gonna be gone from the middle of that order next year and he's not coming back they're not paying him that money like would it be that much of a surprise if he went to Philadelphia and they in the Philly signed um uh Machado and Marquez because Marquez obviously was a Baltimore Oriole for a long time and there's a lot of ex- baltimore orioles officials in that phillies front office and all of that so like i just think Braves fans should be glad that this is going to happen they have a i think like a 91 percent chance to win the NL East according to 538 as of right now they're going to do it they're going to be in the playoffs who knows what happens here but like if i had to bet on which team wins the division more in the next three to four years i would say the phillies and it's just because i think that they're going to open up the checkbook more and i think they're going to pull a dodgers type thing where they're just going to um say you know what we've Uh, We don't trust these young guys, our development a little bit enough, and we have all this money and we're in a gigantic market and we're going to spend and go for a title. And I think the Braves are going to be more pragmatic and I think that they are going to just try and win while operating as financially, I guess, responsible, air quotes, as possible with these young guys and try to win before they have to pay Acuna, Albies, and all these other guys. So I I I would just bet on the team that's more willing to spend, that's already winning, to some extent now.
0: Yeah, no, that's all fair. Like, and certainly if the, if the Phillies are the better team in two or three over many years, I would be surprised. I just think if this Phillies team, if, you, if you're a Phillies fan, you're probably a little worried that like this season has seen, like just not like, you, you really haven't seen growth from the guys you kind of wanted to see growth from, except for Nola and the fact that Hoskins is able to uh, prove that he's not a fluke. Which is, and that's great. Those are two very important things that had to happen for the Phillies to be treated as a contender going forward. But otherwise, this year has been kind of disappointing, which is weird, a weird thing to say about a team that was, like, you know, 20 games above 500, whatever it was at one point, and is like, you know, better than you would have imagined by this point.
2: That's fair. Uh, but it's going to be a fun race either way. Um, and I'm excited to see how it all works and what the Nationals do when they lose Bryce Harper and how they recalibrate. Like you said, they still have talent. They still have Juan Soto, who's a, who would be getting a lot more love if Ronald Acuna was not uh, killing it on the Braves right now in the NL East and all that kind of stuff. So either way, it's going to be fun to watch down the stretch. John, you uh, you have this piece on the front page of SI.com slash MLB, which um, is great on September 1st call-ups and everything that goes into that. Um, so everybody should go check that out. Go read it today. Is the, there anything else uh, that you'd like to get out there before we go?
0: I don't think we've talked about the Reds, which I feel like is breaking a streak. Oh,
2: fuck. Okay. Um, The Reds. What can we say there's about nothing, the Reds? There's
0: nothing to say about the Reds except for the fact that, weirdly, they finished the season five against the Dodgers. And if the Dodgers miss the playoffs, you can blame. It's not entirely the reason, but a little bit of the reason why the Dodgers, uh, if the Dodgers fail to make the playoffs, a little bit of the reason why it's the Cincinnati Reds. So...
2: There you go. That's that's your
0: Reds fact of the day. There you or, go. Or, or appearance. I don't. I don't even know what necessarily I'm trying to do here with the Reds. It's just, I just feel like we've mentioned them every time, so we have to continue. It, doing that those. is
2: like our staple, and people would have been <laughs> upset if we did not mention them. So yeah, I I think the other thing, and I'll my input on this is the fact that Matt Harvey stayed with the team past the deadline.
0: Not only that, but like that the Reds. The Reds want to re-sign him in the offseason.
2: Yeah. Very is, Redsy.
0: Sure. Why not? Right. Hey, cool. Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh. yeah, there's your Reds talk for the week. And uh, Scooter Jeanette, still good at baseball. You have that. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Thomas. And like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support. And we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.